If we could talk about time Adam Watch a film today James We'd explain all the plots that confused you Scott And we'd say Welcome to Time Travel Film Club Hello, welcome, greetings. My name's Scott Hamza, and thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Time Travel Film Club, a weird, wild, and frequently worrying journey across some of the best and some of the worst time travel films throughout our timeline. Joining me in the TTFC, to my right, our resident science guy and the Abe to our errands, James Donnelly. Hello, James. Hi, Scott. I'm, as always, thrilled to be here. You know I love time travel films. You know I love hanging out with you. And you know I love exposing the nonsense that we find in these films. (laughs) Super happy, as always, to have you here, James. And, to my left, film fact finder extraordinaire and a man spiritually trapped in the attic crowing, it's Adam Hedges. (laughs) God's sake. (laughs) Is this all I am to you? Just a crow boy? Is this what this is? Thank you so much, Scott. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, And thanks for the introduction, as always. Each episode, you'll join our past selves for the tears of laughter and despair as we break down, analyse and compare a time travel movie you might not have heard of. Yes, dear listener, in our present, your past, we hope that you, in our future, enjoy listening in your present to the three of us in your past and ours. And that brings me to today's film, our first episode, the first entry in the film club. It's Primer. Primer was released in October 2004, directed and written by Shane Carruth and starring Carruth and David Sully Sullivan. This is a is a big film and it's a big episode of Time Travel Film Club right off the bat. It gets complex and, you know, we we get lost sometimes. It happens. I, none of us are directors, screenwriters, actors or, or time travellers. Well, speak for yourself on the last one. What? But we're so grateful that you are joining us, dear listener, for this dense cult movie that awaits us. By the way, guys, where did you watch this movie? I watched it on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Fantastic. Nice and accessible for our audience. And, dear listener, if you haven't seen Primer and you would like to, don't worry. You can pause the episode. We'll be right here when you get back. And you can nip off, watch Primer. It's super simple. You'll be through with it in a breeze. And then you can come back and listen to us. Before we send you back in time to our past selves, if the dear listeners want to get in touch with the Time Travel Film Club, how can they do that, guys? You can like us on Facebook at Time Travel Film Club. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Time Travel Club. And if you've got something you'd like to tell us, you can do so on our subreddit, r slash Time Travel Film Club, or our email, Time Travel Film Club at gmail.com. And we look so, so forward to hearing from you now. Without further ado, James, Adam, I think it's time to hop in our argon filled boxes and visit our parcels. It's primer time. I will say, voice-wise, one of the best things about being sat here with you both is that it's so nice to not be not be doing a, a, a Zoom meetup. We we had so many months of this uh, being a, a little film club just between the three of us, and it is it's genuinely really nice to just be sat here with the two of you and three microphones, uh, yeah. uh, and you know get to sort of hash it out over over some of the films that we've watched. As as nice as it was, I mean, it it, it got me through lockdown. Really, it was like one of those things that was like. Uh, bit of a safety net for me i knew i had this to look forward to each week when we worked on stuff but um but yeah no it's nice to be in a room and actually turning this into something sort of interesting it is a little daunting that the first film we're going for is primer 
Why in God's name did we put this first? I mean, I know all of the logic. I'm the one who spouted it. It was you. What did <laughs> we... Definitely your fault. I yeah. know. In true time travel fashion, I'm angry with our past selves. And I, you know, but I, there was a point when I thought, yeah, fuck our future selves, apparently. <laughs> I mean, primer, number one, go first. It makes sense. You know, go with the the most time travel film, you know, go with the big, the big glaring elephant in the room is what I said at the time. And I still kind of believe. Ask me halfway through this when I'm crying in a corner and we'll see if I change my tone. I think this is the most time traveling film I've ever seen. Uh, and I know we've all seen a few together and we've talked about a few together in the past. But this is a time travel film. It is. It is so dense and so complicated that I'm still not sure I understand what's going on. So this will be an eye-opener of a podcast <laughs> uh, and more of a chat of, of you guys trying to explain to me moments that I don't understand. I think this is the inciting movie of the Time Travel Film Club as well. I think that yeah. the, the, the film club began because I had seen this movie like 10 years ago. It's one of those, I saw it 10 years ago at university, you know, when you're just plowing through cult movies and stuff comes at you. And I thought, oh, I remember that film. I want the boys to watch that film. Oh, when we had the free movie club at uni, which was just us illegally sharing movies with each other. Yeah, I remember cool. that. Come on over here with your external hard drive, James. That's fine. <laughs> Let's sit. Let's land party together for a while. Oh, uh, just a... just for clarity, I definitely watched this film legally this time on oh. Amazon Prime. Yes, and much like Amazon will deprive their workers toilet breaks to get them to be more efficient, I think we need <laughs> to be more efficient. Um <laughs> Let's begin the movie, gentlemen. Uh (laughs) We open with a garage. Four men get to working on some science. Bunch bunch of engineers hanging out here. Just a bunch of engineers. Bunch of engineers chilling. Garage times. Hangouts. That's how it works. Over this scene, we hear uh, a phone ringing. We hear a man pick up. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read this and you're going to listen. Whoever this is providing the narration, he knows he knows what's happened already uh, in this film and he knows about it quite intimately. I got like Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer uh, tones from this like, "Uh, here's what's going to happen. You took my daughter. I have a set of skills. That's Liam Neeson. I switched it immediately. I don't mind. I'll I'll sprinkle it about any old white guy who gruffly whispers into a phone. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Immediately, I was like, well, this is a very budget-looking film. Very budget-looking. How budget is it? Very budget. (laughs) Well, well, I will say a distinction that I think is, because budget, you are right, it is low budget, Mm. for sure. But it is not obviously low budget in the way, say, a really bad television movie is. It's more just that, yeah, you can definitely see that this is low-grade you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a distinction, like low grade as opposed to like, wow, this looks budget AF, bro. And I, I, that's probably because the budget for this movie was only $7,000. Jesus, $7,000. Yeah, yeah. Which, do you want to know how much it made early on? Uh, yeah. Do you want to jump in here with this now? Yeah. Like, it made $841,000, nearly nine hundred, well, nearly $850,000 when it made its returns. So, not a massive amount, but that, in terms of budget scales, you're, absolutely insane. You're paying the bills, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, over a hundred times more. Yeah. $7,000, yeah. and probably six and a half is just to use the storage facility. It's just to take out the leasing uh, term. When, when, you can, when you consider, like, I, most films these days, are, the budgets are absolutely insane. They always are absolutely insane. It of, often doesn't pay off. This is somebody who has this amount of money, and it's very clear that this is what they were going to spend on it, and that's what they stuck to. But I wouldn't say, for example, 
that the quality of any of the acting is particularly bad. I think it's all, it's all fine. Which, I mean, a lot of, I think the reason for that is filming locations, for example, they filmed it all in one place. So it was all filmed in Dallas, Texas, just around different areas. Uh, the actors themselves who are in it, um, apart from Aaron and Abe, obviously um, Aaron is played by Shane Carruth, the writer, director, producer, music writer, editor, everything, oh, wow. by the way. Um, and, and Abe is played by David Sullivan. Um, the rest of the cast, just friends and f- friends and family of Shane Carruth. That oh. that totally tracks. Yeah, so, that makes totally sense. But, uh, Shane Carruth, though, all those jobs. I'm picturing yeah. Dick Van Dyke with all those musical instruments in, uh, <laughs> yeah, in know, Mary right? Poppins. Just what doing a reference. Everything. All the films are <laughs> yeah, reference. Mary Poppins. Um, but no, I, I don't think there's really a bad performance in this, to be honest. It, uh, the acting style, I think, fits with the kind of look of the film. And I don't know if you two got this as well, but I got massive Breaking Bad vibes from this is that because of the sepia tint on yes, almost everything the fact that everything is that like albuquerque yellow i think yeah. is how they <laughs> no, describe definitely. it now yeah, yeah, yeah um it's that it's that scorched texas kind of look which you do see in a lot of a lot of films and tv that are made in kind of texas that is that kind of look and it's totally fake it, that's oh, yeah. not how things look whatsoever no, i've been no. to texas and it doesn't look like that at all there it's... were complaints with the movie uh extraction with chris hemsworth because oh. Uh, the area it was filmed in, they complained that we don't. It doesn't look like this. You've made it look like uh, the a Middle Eastern action sequence. And yeah. you know, if you just look at the proper photography that was done to make that movie, it's you know full of vibrant blues and mm. the way the movie looks is just this ugly sepia tint, as if it's you know mm. uh, a video game from from the early two thousands. Yeah, it's 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 also really interesting that that this whole film was filmed in five weeks. It's quite a short time Stupid as well. Stupid short amount of time. It's I mean, a quick that's time probably... to spend seven grand, but it, I mean, it's still yeah. so impressive. Yeah, I mean, like everything had to be super, super succinct, I imagine, in this I think, to make it work. I think as well, to, to kind of hark back to the, the kind of unglamorous, uh, the, the, the kind of low-gradeness of it, uh, I should say, is that, yeah, there's nothing glamorous about it. You mentioned Breaking Bad, another kind of very rough, bleak, uh, doesn't paint itself, you know, doesn't tart itself up kind of uh, uh, television series. And this is kind of the same. It's a lot of very unglamorous parking lots, garages, suburban homes. There's, there's, you know, they don't, it's not a movie that cares about, you know, set pieces. Mm. And as you said with the performances, it's not a movie that, it, we'll get onto this later on, but it's not a movie, in my opinion, that has any room in it to even have a bad performance because no. almost every line is a is data. You, you talk about not a lot of room. It's a it's a short film. I think it's only seventy eight minutes. One hour, yeah. 17? One hour seventeen. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a short film, but it's so short that there are lines where the actors are deliberately talking over each other, mm. and it's very hard for you to to kind of drag out some of the information they're saying, but not in a way of oh they've done this unprofessionally. More like. This is what a real human conversation is like. Yeah, yeah. It, the it, conversational style is something that I've seen in other films. And to be honest with you, I struggle with it because it, it it's distracting. But it is how people talk in real life. Someone's always butting over each other. It's usually me talking over Scott when we're, you know, <laughs> when we're like trying to plan something. But yeah, that conversational style is a real good way of showing these aren't actors this is happening to people in a film i think it will it will put off a lot of people oh, yeah. very understandably because it's a not what you're used to in terms of the way dialogue is produced in movies and in television and in, in media in general because they're trying to do some work for you they're trying to make everyone understandable and everyone gets their moment and there is a, a smidgen of inauthenticity about that in every interview i saw with shane carruth about this movie when he was promoing it he mentioned authenticity mm. and it's 
you can argue is that like a crutch for your very low budget low grade filmmaking or is it something that you intentionally went for and I've, I've got to say I'm fully on the side of no he he meant this he, he meant it and it, it wasn't just a case of I, I want to do it I want to do it for these purposes and there are a few things in there that are quite subtle they managed to show some passage of time I don't know if you both picked up on this as well they managed to show some passage of time in the film from these opening scenes to when the events begin to take place. So in this very first scene, there is a Christmas tree in the background. Oh, I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. No, but, absolutely not, yeah. But to then show some passage of time later, there's a very important scene that will come up where they start talking about March Madness. So we know that at least three months have gone by okay. from the very start of the film to the kind of lead up to the events. Mm. So we know they've worked hard, but without them saying three months later... There's a little bit of a, here's how much time has passed. And we'll get on to the fact that the movie is not working for you. You have to work for this movie. Okay. You have to spot that Christmas tree. Yeah. I did not. You didn't, no, Adam. No, I didn't at <laughs> you all. You have to spot, you have to be eagle-eyed yeah. and vigilant. Now, the garage gang, these four engineers, they are debating what their next project should be. They are hunting patents. They're hunting profitable patents that venture capitalists will be into. They are in their spare time away from their day jobs, you know, getting getting dirty and oily in the garage. I don't know why I've made it sound seedy. I didn't mean to. <laughs> But there's a divide. Robert and Philip want to focus on Tesla coils. I think I caught them saying, but they just essentially want to focus on other slightly more mundane things than our boys, Abe and Aaron, the, the main characters of this movie. They are they are craving a spicier meal for their for their fun time. Until I knew that this was filmed in Dallas and I think that's where it's supposed to be set. I immediately thought, oh, this is they're in Silicon Valley in L.A. You know, I thought this was like where Apple startup came from and all those kind of like big Silicon Valley startups because it looks like it. Everybody knows that like Apple started in a in a garage in like Silicon Valley. And that's what I was like. That's what they're, they're playing on here. It's like a group of people who are about to make a big discovery, but they aren't quite there yet. And it's just out of their like garage. It's like one of those one of those fairy tale yeah. stories. And I totally get you. And I think, again, you're talking about how one of them uses Tesla coils, et cetera, et cetera. I think they also mentioned that the new idea that they're coming up with doesn't need software and therefore they can get rid of one of these other two engineers who's working mm. with them. Oh, the heady heights of 2004 when like new software is like, yeah, that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah. I had to keep recentering myself in the early 2000s for the kind yeah. of scientific developments that they would be looking into. You know, they mentioned Tesla coils. I was parked behind four Tesla cars on the way in to uh, <laughs> come and do this recording today. So, you know, we... What they are maybe trying to achieve is something that could easily already have been achieved. And yet I recentered myself to kind of think that, no, they could be coming up with something monumental at this point, And, you know, I wouldn't even realise it. Abe and Aaron, I'm going to call them double A just because it's easier than continually saying Abe and Aaron. Mm -hmm. And I like double A. It makes them sound like a team. Double A decide to go along with Rob and Phil for now. And we see we also get like a, a, a sort of montage scene of essentially of Aaron's thriftiness. It's Aaron being very sort of money, I, want, I don't want to say money hungry, but money focused. He wants receipts for the purchases made. He doesn't want to pay in any way to get some palladium. I imagine palladium's very expensive. <laughs> oh, oh, big time. So he mentions that they're looking for, I think, five ounces of palladium. That would be about, in today's money, $11,000 worth oh, of palladium. Wow. So it's, it's not a cheap metal. Do they still, in today's world, put it in catalytic converters? But, yeah, palladium and platinum, um, they're both catalysts for the kind of fumes that you get out of catalytic converters. So they're still used today. 
And so that that's why is that literally the very reason catalytic co- crime, catalytic converter crime, the triple C, is that the reason why <laughs> it exists? Yes, yeah, yeah that's the hold. reason why. So these are platinum bandits. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's even talk that there's so much platinum on the roads because of the catalytic converters losing a little bit with every kind of mile that you drive. Yeah. That if you were to be able to sweep up the sides of motorways, there would be hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of platinum just scattered around the edges just of the motorway. platinum dust on the M25. Yeah. You, you rename this film The Platinum Bandits? I'll watch it every oh, day. The Platinum, oh, the platinum, platinum Bandits. Bandits. Not bad a great Yeah, I like that. Also, I should note that the amount of palladium that they're going for you wouldn't get in one cat. Like, one catalytic <laughs> converter would probably I mean, be... you only see them cut one off, presumably, it, that whole they, row of cars. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, a it, pile of them somewhere. He just asked Abe. He yeah. Just, yeah, he didn't care yeah, about yeah. everyone as, else. As you can tell from the maths, uh, it would probably be like 20 catalytic converters mm. they need to cut up to get yeah. that amount, but it's, yeah. it's a little bit more. We also get a brief moment with the uh, the Russian space pencil analogy that the, the US spent thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to research how to make a pen write in space. And the Russians came along and just said, yep, we're going to use a pencil. Which is, again, based on a true story, except it was the Russians who actually came afoul there. Because when you use a graphite pencil, bits of graphite break off. They're tiny, very, very sharp conductive pieces that fly around inside of your space capsules oh, no Yikes. not ideal mm. so um but i believe a regular biro can theoretically work in space mm. um the, the americans did develop a pressurized pen though to right. specifically be used in in space they need something for tom cruise to kill a man with in the next mission impossible <laughs> film where's the research coming from you know yeah now, Rob and Phil leave for the day. It's garage time is over for them. Double A take this opportunity to start sort of second guessing all of their decisions and seeing where they can cut some corners. They get rid of the cooling bath, for example, because they think it's just not needed. They think that Rob and Phil are stunting, essentially. And this is the point where it kind of starts to get interesting. This is how we're very early in the movie. And they've started messing around with the tech. This is where I'm at in terms of sophistication as the viewer first time around. Oh, yeah. yeah You're going to mess with some tech, guys. Stick your hand in it. Off the clock <laughs> tech happens. watch. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, uh, you do you do worry about their safety here. The guy, the first thing he wants to do is, I'm just going to stick my hand over this yes. terrifying bit of kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which we, we will soon find out is supposed to essentially be an anti-gravity machine. Yeah. And he thinks, great. I'm sticking my hand right over the top of that. First time round, I was just like, is it an electromagnet? I think it might be an electromagnet. Mm. They it's do. It's a whirring. Wah, wah, I, wah. I was like, is it to do with them trying to reduce the mass of things? Which, again, electromagnets, that's how a lot of the kind of electromagnetic trains run, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And they talk about um, supercooling and superconducting. Yes. Mm. Yeah, which is something that we've been desperately trying to get at room temperature for years and years and years. And it never it never quite works out. Everything needs to be slightly cooler than room temperature at the moment. Uh, we will probably get there at some point. So that's why they're talking about using the Freon from the fridge. And they're talking about using another electromagnet to help make the cooling situation easier. And it's all real science that they're talking about. And again, like you say, you do use it for maglev trains. It would it would make sense that you try to get rid of more mass from some other objects. Primer Virgin Scott is just sat there thinking like, yeah, electromagnets, Tesla coils, cooling, lots of stuff, science stuff. Put your hand in it, Aaron. Show me that. Yeah, that's Put what I do, in, right? That's what every man yeah, would do. Exactly. Stick yeah, straight exactly. in that shit. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Now walk me through the next bit, please, James. Because after the hand in the whoa, 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 worry plate, you get the... Sorry, I'm not a dubstep <laughs> DJ. <laughs> All of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Um, you get the confetti moment that again is like absolutely intentionally 
made difficult to witness because you get the camera itself panning behind the digital camera. That Great the shot, camcorder. Yeah, excellent God, shot. I realise I haven't heard the word camcorder in over 10 years. Gen- I wrote down video camera at the, as a literal thing of what it is, and then he just said, are you going to buy me a new camcorder if this camcorder goes, goes tits up just in a couple of minutes' time? And I just haven't... It's, it's, just, it's a wonderful throwback, honestly. I want more of this. I just want, like, low-grade people... You know, cassette tape's not good enough. There are still people pumping out retro cassette tapes now. I want people mm-hmm. doing... Yeah. Anyway, so we get the confetti moment, please. And what's the significance of this, other than the fact that it looks really nice and would make for a wonderful Olympic opening ceremony? So I think when they're talking about um, putting the device inside the box, they're trying to shield it from any kind of external mechanisms and they want to pump it full of argon. Argon's an inert neutral gas, um, which would make sense to put it inside of something, you know, with... A... It's a shielding gas, isn't it? So it, we use it for welding. So yeah. it's, you know, to shield something, it makes sense that they would use argon. That's Absolutely. How into it. That's a great idea. Um, so I think what they're doing with the, the sprinkling of the confetti is that they're just doing a proof of concept. Uh, look, it's clearly working on this micro scale, which means we can bump it up to the macro scale inside this box. Fun. Nice. I didn't know if there was any significance. And at this point, we are hurtling through a lot of detail that is again, intentionally told to you in kind of like crosstalk. Crosstalk was the the way I kind of referred to the fact that, yeah, you get the first half of his sentence and before he's finished, the other guy started the the beginning of his. Yeah, and speaking of them doing like the, the next level up, putting it in the box, the next item they go for is still not heavy. It's a, a 77 gram uh, weeble. Oh, which God, I love a weeble. I hate this word, honestly. Do you? I don't I know. Yeah. Weeble. Is weeble the name that Robin Williams gives to the flying no, thing? That's weebo. Is it weebo? I much prefer that. I tell you now. You know what? I don't have anything against the word weeble. It's just that it's a form of it's the terminology. And every time I kept like stuttering on my understanding of this film, it was around the word weeble. And I kept just saying, if you just call it a thing, just call it a thing, and Scott will be fine. It's just the object. Anyway, it's a me thing. It's not a you thing, James, or even a weeble thing. Sorry, please continue. Okay, I feel a little bit attacked. Like, yeah, so I know, yeah. A fuck weebles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weeble, Adam, as you like to say, it's just a little toy that doesn't fall over. Weebles like... wobble, but they don't fall down. Yeah. Um, and Is so... that a thing? That's the thing. Yeah. That's the, that's the, wow. Yeah. It's like when you bought yourself tune. a weeble, I'm... that was what you bought it for. I'm just outside of the weeble community. That's what happened here. Bigger in America than over yeah, here. Yeah, I'm going to buy Scott yeah, I'm not very Christmas. big in America, to be <laughs> fair. Okay, yeah. So they, they measure the weight of the weeble, and it's, it's 7.7 decagrams because they decide to go with decagrams. Now... I don't know why they decide to go with decagrams there. Decagram measurements are less accurate because you are going up an order. Maybe that's why, because it will... Because it sounds cooler. Yeah, yeah it does sound cooler. Decagrams. But, but they choose to go for it, and, it, and it's <laughs> fine. And we do see that it, it starts to go down in weight, um, or mass, as I should say, mm-hmm. because something about the machine is working. However, it doesn't necessarily go to plan. The way they're pumping the power in, we'll learn why later ends up sending the machine on like some sort of runaway upcycle and they don't know what to do about it. So they just end up yanking the power out, turning the whole thing off and leaving the experiment where it is. They know that the experiment is going to work, mm. but they don't know quite yet how to make it work. It, it may just explode. I mean, like what's really shocking about this is again, it's the, so you're poking your fingers into it for like no reason. They, they have no idea what's going to happen when they turn this thing on. Did you put too much tinfoil in the microwave? Yeah, you know, that's, that's it's, what it feels It's shaking. Like. Yeah, yeah. And they don't even really wear goggles or gloves. There's later a, in the film, there's a joke yeah, about Yeah, I love that. It's brilliant. We'll, I'm sure we'll cross that bridge later on, but like there's a fantastic moment that's like deep engineer talk. <laughs> 
to kind of like intimate that something might have genuinely gone wrong, they, we cut immediately to Abe, who's just asleep on the floor. I think he's in his own apartment. I didn't really kind of get where he is, but he definitely wakes up on the floor. That was weird. I was like, is, is that a cut? Or is this like, I thought, has this happened? Have they both like passed out because something's happened? Yeah, exactly. And then you yeah. find out instantly it's not. And I was like, oh, that's a weird thing to have thrown well, at an audience member. It's the first example of a lot of really hard cuts in this yeah. film. Cuts where you don't know how much time has existed. Yeah. And that's like the nature of the beast. Absolutely. Yeah, we've cut and you have to work out how much time is in between. But, you know, Jesus, what I wouldn't have given at some point for just a simple expositional character to be like, I haven't seen you in six... And, uh, actually, as I'm saying this, very quickly, Aaron does say, hey, it's 7pm, I want to get a steak. He I, doesn't say that, but it's 7pm and he wants a steak. Yeah. I do love that he says, it's 7. And then a shoe or something gets thrown at a window to check the light level for him to be like, does he mean 7 in the morning? No, yeah. it's dark. It's 7 at night. Yeah. We need something to centre us, Jesus. So as I said, Aaron wants a steak. He's feeling accomplished because the machine is now stable. So we head back to the garage. Aaron shows Abe how he went about kind of achieving this stability. So the way that uh, Aaron shows him is he basically slowly starts to wind up the power. And the machine, again, which makes sense if you think about it, if it's something you don't know how it's going to work, why would you ever go full beans for the first time you try it? It's a bit like like old old kind of like uh, farm machinery or old cars. You have a choke that you have to like, you have to kind of prime the engine first. Yeah. You can't just start an old car. You have to like prime it and prime the engine. It's like... It's the primer. It doesn't make sense. It's the very good. Oh, <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah. So like, you know, if you start an engine, an old like classic car engine cold, it just won't start. It won't tick over you have to, there's several things you have to do first which makes perfect sense now I think about it in those kind of terms yeah same even with just simple things like lighting a fire you don't just hold a lighter underneath a log and hope it catches like no, you, you you do something to yeah. build it up so they do do that and they start he shows how if you just slowly raise the power not even all the way I think he only goes about halfway mm. and then the machine starts to tick along on its own and kind of power itself under its own momentum to the point where he can then remove the power initially just by turning it off and the machine is ticking over at a, a normal rate but then we get a slightly weirder moment where he asks him a few questions about the amount of power generated from the batteries and demonstrates that you can remove a battery in fact you can remove both of the batteries kick them off and the machine keeps going which i'm sure we're all in agreement here engineer vague scientist so scott what do you uh, do i've used many batteries before okay battery user <laughs> <laughs> but uh that that doesn't that doesn't seem to make any sense, and we kind of get a hint here of is this some sort of almost perpetual motion machine that's been made? He says we we can't be putting we can't be putting out more than we're putting in. Effectively, you know, mm. we can't. There's not more output than there is input, which is yeah, especially mm. if you kicked off the batteries and the thing is making juice, you've created a really juicy juice maker, mm. Fred. Like great. When I when I sort of saw this, I thought to myself like, well, it's almost like, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you two are okay with kind of like guitar amplifiers, but tube amplifiers. When you power a tube amplifier up, you have to kind of like, again, you have to prime it. There's like a standby mode you put them in. But once you shut everything down at the end, if you turn everything off, it will hold its charge. The capacitance holds its charge in the capacitors inside the, the, the box. So for a couple of seconds, it will still work after you've turned the power off. And it's almost like that. It's almost like it's holding the charge somewhere, but it's a lot longer than it would ever work for in kind of real world terms. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those capacitors are quite dangerous. Very, very dangerous, as I found out when I took an amplifier to pieces a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, just don't touch them. 
they hold that charge for a very, very long really? time after you wow. turn the power off. Yeah. If you ever have disposable cameras, not that I imagine you'll ever use one again, but the the flash in those is also a capacitor. And there's a really fun, I'm not advocating doing this, thing that you can do <laughs> where if you take all the frontages off but leave the batteries in, you can prime the flash. And then if you get someone to touch a couple of the bits of circuitry on the back, they will get a nasty shock. <laughs> oh, I had no idea they were so uh, so dangerous. Yeah. I love the fact that you've both had to say the word prime uh, several yeah, yeah. times in mm-hmm, the explanations mm-hmm. of guitar amps and cameras. Very fun. So double A, go out for the steak. And they kind of revel in the possibilities of their discovery. But they're no idiots. They don't want to sell something that they don't understand fully. And so they decide, ironically, to bide their time. We switch to the garage gang at a party. Now, this party, Thomas Granger's there. He's, we're told, the gang's last decent hope of continuing, of getting continued funding for their, for their experiments, for their garage hangouts. He's at the party. Uh, uh, he's, he's there mainly because his daughter, Rachel, is there. She's cozying up to Abe. And the gang chat about potentially pitching to Granger, but it goes nowhere and Granger leaves early. These are all kind of little details that have, you know, importance later on, but they're sped by really quickly at this point of the film. And now at about at almost, I say at about 20, like I didn't put the timestamp down. <laughs> 20 <laughs> minutes and one second. It says 2001 right here. I'm selling right myself short. At 2001, we are on a roof with Abe uh, as he looks down, to, uh, as he looks down below to a grassy corporate type spot. And then we are over his shoulder as he approaches down below Aaron on a bench. Aaron says he's been calling Abe all morning. He's called him at work. He's called him at home. But Abe says that he he wasn't there. Abe asks Aaron to ditch work today. Come with me and I, I will show you the spiciest meal you've ever had. <laughs> yeah, at this point, uh, Abe has asked Aaron what he's listening to. He's got earphones while he sat on the park bench. Yeah, just one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we hear the March Madness section, which is how we know that quite a lot of time has, has passed since the start of the film. It's the movie teaching me what March Madness is as well. I thought Absolutely, it was like yeah. sweepstakes yeah. or like something to do with a mall. It's something to do, this is my very, I'm not the sports guy, it's something to do with getting people into the draft in basketball. Yeah, I think it's like the like when they do the, no, I don't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> Are we going to take turns? Thing. Yeah. You know when they do the like transfer window? Is that, is, is that what it is? is that I what think it is? it's like that. Yeah. But if, for basketball. Yeah. If you know the answer to this question, please write it on a postcard to Adam's house <laughs> at basketballthoughts.com. Yeah, <laughs> so we're back at the garage. Abe wants to show Aaron something. First up in Abe's show and tell, it begins with some palladium and some mold. It does not begin with some palladium. No, it doesn't. That's not at all what happens. Does it, what's the egg? That's the, the weevil. Okay, God yeah. damn it. You've got such a block about this weevil. Fucking weevils, man. I thought palladium the, is a silver metal. I know. I thought that the so that I thought the weevil was an egg, like a kinder egg mm-hmm. with palladium inside and that that's what they were measuring the weight of. Leave the this palladium. in. That's why they banned them in, in America. Keep, keep this in. Keep I'm this just in. saying, yeah, this is staying <laughs> in. Yeah, the public needs to know. Listen, I just fuck the word weevil. Can I just say, all right, no, fine, fine. So it begins with Mold, James. <laughs> yeah, so if they're talking about how there's a, a mold growing on the outside of this, I think he specifically says it's Aspergillus tichor, which isn't a one that Asparagus I Asparagus typhoid. Asparagus typhoid. Um, I know Aspergillus, though. Aspergillus is a, a common problem that we have. It grows in hay. And so obviously, as uh, living on a, a tiny little homestead like I do, <laughs> um, we do have Aspergillus mold. And it can cause human problems. It can grow in your lungs, even. It, it can be an unpleasant, unpleasant pathogen. But these sort of things, moulds, are actually used to determine the passage of time, especially with things like corpses. It's very easy to tell how long a corpse has been around because if you know the humidity and you know what bacteria, what mould have grown on a corpse, 
If it someone can, came to me and was like, oh, hey, sorry, uh, hello, sir. Um, so your murdered uh, grandfather, uh, we were going to carbon date him, but we actually thought his corpse was proper mouldy. So we've, uh, <laughs> I would <laughs> I would complain. You're going to lose it, right? <laughs> it's, it's actually called putrefaction is what they look no, for. The putrefaction. So how much you're, you've started to degrade as a result uh-huh. of the amount of time you've been hanging around for. Mm, nice. All of these um, microorganisms will produce things that they uh, excrete. Um, and these proteins, as they're specifically referencing here, are something that they can detect on the outside of this weeble. And it's the, the proteins are the issue because uh, Abe takes Aaron with him to hit up the two doctors that he's already hit up previously to talk about the mold. And the first one is just like, yep, it's mold. Yep. I, I mean, he just conf- he's just a confirmation guy. He looks like Brian Posehn light. And Great eyebrows. I know. He's <laughs> a weird eyebrows. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the second guy who's who's incredulous. He doesn't believe what's going on. He thinks, yeah, this is definitely a joke because you're claiming that five years worth of protein has built up on this from this mold. And you're saying that it happened in five minutes. You're saying you were scraping this off every five minutes. But Abe, credit to him, he believes the timeline of this mold. He knows what his eyes saw mold-wise. So he decided naturally, if if you know, if the thing going on is that there's some issue about the passage of time, let me chuck a watch in there. Better yet, I'll chuck in both an analog and a digital watch. Lovely wrinkle, yeah, wonderful, great. really nice. Yeah, both yeah. choices. Yeah, I thought that was nice. There, there is a. a um a kind of weird joke that I think we've brushed over here about engineers and their aging out of situations. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you're right. I did skim over that. Yeah, what, uh, what do they do when an engineer turns 40? They take them out and shoot them, take apparently. Them them. What a sad life. Um, yeah, I've, got, I've got seven years left. <laughs> oh, that is <laughs> quite sad. Got, so, it's good. You know. We'll have finished season one by then, hopefully. I would hope so. <laughs> but, but I love that that's an excuse because obviously he has to leave work here and that's a great excuse that he's like, oh, I'm going to go and visit the only person that nobody wants to visit. But yeah. he even says, well, what happens to engineers when they turn 40? Because everyone knows this guy makes the same joke <laughs> every time. Yeah, It's the second, as I mentioned, second doctor, more incredulous, but uh, Abe doesn't care. He gets back, he pops his watches in and now... Most importantly, he wants Aaron to do the same. He says, like, it doesn't matter what I say. You need to do it for yourself and see it for yourself. So they head back to the garage. They engage in some really uh, infuriating at this point. Like, you know, it's not regularly infuriating, but I found it infuriating, the crosstalk that happens at this point. And I think the movie wants that again, because this is a really this is a really important moment for them. Uh, Abe is, you know, pent up. He's got lots of excitement. He knows that there's a big discovery afoot. And they're just talking over one another constantly, kind of the fact that Aaron is is confused and kind of taken aback and Abe is, as I said, just really excitable and, and himself quite taken aback by what's going on. And so, thankfully, the explanation slowed down a bit. Just before they slowed down a bit, amidst all the rap- rambling, I did notice while I was watching this that so uh, in trying to further convince uh, uh, Aaron, further sort of cement what's going on. Abe says, like, oh, no, no, come on, the Feynman diagrams. You know in the Feynman diagrams, there's there's one variable. There's 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 just one. He doesn't then mention what a Feynman diagram is or what the variables are. And, and like, reference-wise, I found myself just being like, I wonder what that is. It sounds really... Uh, there's only one variable? I looked into it a little bit as well. I mean, Shane Carruth specifically mentions it in a few interviews that came after the oh, film okay. came out, um, that he puts it down as being the basic principle of what he sees the time travel as. But I, I, I mean, I'm not... James is better for kind of, like, explaining the science behind it, I guess. Yeah, so, so a Feynman diagram is uh, a, a pretty simple diagram um, that just shows the conversion of uh, antimatter and matter into its kind of opposite parts. So, for example, the opposite of an electron is a positron. Now, importantly, in the diagrams that you see, these Feynman diagrams, 
the electron is always shown moving in one direction and the positron, therefore, in the opposite direction. When he's referencing that there's that the variable you're talking about, it's because you can do these diagrams with time sort of excluded. You can have time going either direction and the diagram should be identical. So uh, an electron okay. annihilating with a positron should have the same reaction as if an event causes an electron and a positron to be produced. Oh, okay. And obviously, because you're showing the electron and that a positron is the opposite of an electron, you show that, theoretically, the time is the opposite for the positron. So you could, I suppose, argue... Time moving backwards and forwards. That right, if an okay, electron's yeah, moving forwards in time, a positron's moving backwards. That's not actually how it works, no, because it's what time... It yeah, time yeah. isn't really built into these equations, because it doesn't... We experience time. Physics kind of doesn't give a shit about time. Yeah. It's a bit weird. I don't even know if physics gives a shit about us, <laughs> either. It certainly <laughs> doesn't. To hell not with me, movie. for sure. We also, amidst all of this kind of like uh, hurried explanation and hurried excitement from, from Abe, we get a really small glimpse, a really kind of acute camera angle in between palms and with jostling pens around of a time travel diagram. A little kind of like, this is how I think it works from, from Abe. And I know for my purposes throughout, you know, young Scott's entire life, I love it in a time travel movie when they draw the time travel. Not, I don't want like just something, just an image popped on the screen. I want the characters to do the thing that I would do if I was confused about time. I'd get myself a notepad and a biro and I'd be drawing like lines and dots and A's and B's. Yeah. It's much easier to convince someone when you've got a picture to go along with what and, you're saying. And you know it is for you. You absolutely know it's for yeah. the audience because they know what, they, they've worked it out. They're much more intelligent than the kind of we are in the sense of the film they know what's going on so to put it in those layman's terms you know is for an audience member and god it's so useful to be able to put some sort of layman's set on this so you can work out what's going on i look so forward and i mean they are cheeky with it in this one because he draws yeah. it before any of the stuff has happened yeah he doesn't have to draw his own movies uh, uh timeline he doesn't have to go through that and i think that one of the like really enjoyable things about primate is is that i know for sure we're in you the three of us are in time travel film club so definitely the second we finish this we try to draw the timeline ourselves yeah, yeah absolutely it's one of the and the internet is 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 swimming with them. Everyone I, I is, would try and just look for one of the ones online because every single one is different, and you would want to have the arguments between each one to work out the differences. My one would be the one that they draw at this stage in the film, and it wouldn't go <laughs> any further than that. But yeah, it's there are some online that are like really excellent, and but there's tons of different ones. I think there's one by XKCD, which mm. is just a basically pile of spaghetti yeah. with the names <laughs> Abe Granger and Aaron written on it. It's a really nice exercise in kind of like con visual conceptualization. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that on uh, on speed dates you should sit down and be like, "Hey, here's a napkin. Draw me a primer. <laughs> Draw me a primer timeline, and let's see if we sync up." But I don't know. This I look so forward over the course of the rest of this film club to seeing more of these diagrams and seeing the ways in which filmmakers present them to us yeah. and then the kind of novel changes therein. I do like the little diagram. I think it's a it's a nice little example, and they they are about to go on to kind of explain what the different sections mean. But at this point, all we know is that there's obviously something dodgy going on with the amount of time that the Weeble's been in there. Five years versus what should have been a minute. Mm. We also know that we're going to see something to do with the fact that they're trying to isolate gravity, I suppose. Mm. So something about the box and the setup is just supposed to 
prevent gravity having an effect inside. Mm. And I guess the logical leap we're taking from this is it's not just gravity that it's blocking. Precisely, yeah. I mean, they, they mention exactly that, that. There is something, there's something being blocked here. And I know that they've got their lovely argon shielding going on and they've got that visual silver, low-grade tinfoilish looking box that they've got. But like, yeah, they're, they're definitely... Stuff is happening inside there with their watches and with their cameras and all that kind of stuff. That is, uh, uh, it's not how stuff is happening to my body sat here right now. Do you, do you remember what the number he is that he says when he says something like, "Oh yeah, for, it's been in there for a minute, but it thinks it's been in there for twenty-two hours and twenty-seven minutes," and then Aaron really quickly goes, "Oh, what one thousand three hundred forty-seven minutes." And Abe goes, that was fast maths. Yeah, I noticed that. And, and I was like, am I supposed to just be impressed by his maths right now? I mean, I am. Well, I think it's probably a little bit of a spoiler for something that's going to come up later in the film in terms of... Because he's too wise. The amount of knowledge that he is able to have. That is such oh, a damn. good Again. find, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I didn't I catch did not that catch there. that at all. Because you know why? The scene is so mumbly yeah. and quick and yeah. Abe is it's so excitable. Yeah. yeah, it is deliberate. Yeah. But if you work for it, uh, uh, it the the... Juicy deets will come, you know? Now, this is the moment where we get sort of the, the uh, a big dose of this is what's happening with the time travel. And I've kind of like condensed it all down. I'm going to try and give you the cliff notes of it. But hopefully I've got it the right way around. Picture, as per the time diagram that we got, we got sort of an acute angle to see. There is a point A and a point B. Point A is noon, 1200 hours. And point B is one minute forward, 1201. When you start the machine, an object in the box, they call it a weeble. I won't is at point A, it moves forward in time, as all things do, as I do, as you do, it moves forward in time by one minute to point B. It moves from 12 to 12.01. Fantastic. It should stop there, but in this machine, because of the shielding and the blocking and all the stuff they're doing, it actually just circles back round and goes back to A. And so when it arrives back at A, it's now experienced two minutes. It's experienced the minute forward, and it's also experienced the minute backward. They know this because they pop their watches in, and the, the watches show that the time is being experienced. Now, the thing may well... As far as I was aware, just have kept cycling round and round and round. But they do mention that there is some probability involved. Every time the object heads forward in time from point A to point B, there is a chance that it will just come out. It will it will pop out at point B. But it usually takes about 1300 times. And as you mentioned, James, Abe is being sort of nondescript. He's, a, he's being approximate. Whereas, no, Aaron is a, is a very precise man. He has that 1347 uh, locked in his mind. And he mentions it's an odd number because obviously A to B happens once. So at the A end, it's going to get course. to the B end once. Yeah, yeah. So if it loops, it would be an even number from A to A. But it's an odd number because it always goes A to B. So it'll, it'll never be a, uh, an even number no. because it always has to exit at, the, at point B. And that's the point where Aaron starts to kind of sense some opportunity. Aaron is the the sniffing around for opportunity of the two of them. And he kind of senses the opportunity that, hold on, if the object inside were sentient, ooh, then maybe it could go in at B and, and decide and, and, you know, consciously choose to just come out at A. Otherwise known as a little bit of past time travel, right? Nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good. And guess who's sentient? Abe and Aaron are both Abe sentient. Abe and Aaron are some sentient guys. So it is time to build a bigger box. We switch to them parked up, swigging a soda, side of the road. Abe theorizing that they how they could build a bigger box. They get instead of needing to just build one really big field, they get loads of small fields, and that kind of is effectively the same thing. Something really interesting here. All through the film so far, since we saw Aaron with his earpiece in, he's had the earpiece in. This is the first scene that we see him in where he doesn't have the earpiece in. 
I might f- sort of circle back around to that later. Okay. Please Just do, because I wasn't aware of that, yeah. Does it, he have the earpiece in? He well, has it in before this. Well, yeah, well, yeah, they're talking the, about 1347. I've and, seen him yeah. with the park bench, but does he have it in at any other point? Yeah, in the 1347 chat oh, where he man, says the I number. That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right. So there are other times. Because I got the fact that he was on the park bench and he had it in because that's a major a, setup for a later. Really, yeah. But I didn't realise that at this point something else has happened. Oh, that's fucked me. There, there are a couple of scenes. <laughs> Ear, earphone tracking, baby. Yeah, You've yeah. got to either, you're on it or you're not. Yeah, I was not. And I was off. There, there, <laughs> are, there are a couple of scenes where he has the earphone in. Um, I didn't make a note of all of them, but I noticed that there were some with and some without, which again, I don't want to get too spoilery, suggests that we're not always seeing the same timeline through this film. Sure. Oh my good God. Okay, oh, yeah, just, save no. that for the end. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay, so amidst all of the minifield chat, um, <laughs> Aaron rightly points out that, you know, they would need somewhere to store this. And lo and behold, where are they parked up? They're parked up overlooking a storage facility. I do love Aaron's reaction of, wait, I know where we could do it as he's looking at the big building. <laughs> yeah. And Abe going, well, yeah, hang on, hold your horses. And that's when Abe grabs Aaron, you know, verbally. <laughs> and he says... <laughs> He says, I want you to understand right that what you're about to see is not a prank. Please do not scream. Do not shout. Do not overreact. I would not do that to you. It is a very, very kind of clean, honest, earnest, direct way with minimal word use and minimal flowery language or anything that might be considered to be manipulation or anything that might be considered to be working him. No, it's just a direct way of kind of trying to say to him preemptively, trying to preemptively convince him of what's happening right now is real. And it was a really nice kind of like, as I said, earnest moment from Abe, the kind of thing like, I wouldn't do that to you. Our friendship is important enough that I wouldn't do that to you. I'm not pranking you what you're about to see. And you kind of very quickly ramp up to the to the point of like, oh, what are we about to see? And I tell you what you're about to see, a little double Abe in the mix because he picks up, the, he gives the binoculars to Aaron and who does he see in the distance walking into the storage facility Another an, Abe. An Abe. Yeah, an Abe. An other an Abe. An other Abe. <laughs> DJ Khaled. DJ another Ka- Abe. Another Abe. <laughs> Abe takes Aaron, of course, uh, over to the storage facility after a little bit of time goes by and they they march up to their, the storage room in their name, in Abe's name. Interestingly, they mention that his name is is Turga here. I think it's the second time that we've had Turga be spelt out in front of us. German-ish, I feel. Tur- Turga? I mean, maybe just try saying Turga backwards. Yeah, I, I found this out. I didn't want to protect... Uh, did you not know Whoa, that? Adam? No way! Because no. I, kn- I knew, no. I knew there must be something. I didn't even consider that. Re- okay, regret, right? Yeah, yeah. regret. Okay, yeah. fucking hell! I just, I shouldn't be on this podcast. Is that, now's the time for you to tell me that I should leave. I was gonna play along. I was oh. like, oh yeah, don't, yeah, no. But I, yeah, I, I, I figured out. But only towards the end. My goodness, right from the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I, I was writing it down, and I was like, how do you spell it? And I rewound to look at how we, and the way they spell it in the subtitles is. Like T dash E, and I was like, "Oh, it's regret backwards." It's a little, or rather, it's backwards regret. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's regret yeah. backwards. Oh, and what is what is Abe's? You know, uh, what's his clan? The backwards regret. Backwards, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wait six minutes before entering the storage room, and this is where Aaron gets to see the time travel device for the first time. It's it's where we get to see the time travel device for the first time as well. How would you describe it? hilariously like dangerous looking <laughs> very yeah definitely dangerous looking ratchet straps i i immediately thought it looks like something that 
a homeless person might sleep in on the streets. Oh yeah, big it's time. It's got that like plastic wrapped. It's all made out of like plastic plumbing parts with ratchet straps and like a coffin bits of tape, like a coffin. It looks like a science experiment that it you does. see in a high school. You know, if you wanted yeah. to make like a fake box that, oh yeah, and imagine this does this, and it's not that it looks terrible. It's just that it is understandably and intentionally mm. very much built for purpose does it look oh, yeah. like an overturned mattress maybe we don't care what it looks like it looks exactly like what it may well be you it know? looks like you'd put a glamorous assistant in there and then pretend to cut it in yeah. half i mean it's it's absolutely like like something you would build on a budget if you were trying to test something out like it's a te- it's a test thing isn't it you know eventually we know that that aaron is probably going to try and build a a a better one of these eventually but this is their prototype effectively that's what you're looking at there yeah i thought the sound design here was really interesting by the way um you uh, mentioned that shane caruth does the sound yeah didn't he does you? everything basically does, yeah exactly um uh, what i thought was really interesting about it is is it's not it's not a digital sound that they've they've put on it it's a it's a it's an analog sound so it's two sounds mixed together okay you've got like a mechanical grinder um, and uh, like a car engine and it's very similar it's how they did all the sound effects for Star Wars they're always like two different things it's like Chewbacca's voice is like a walrus and a bear mixed together and stuff oh, like in Jurassic Park are they mixed like Absolutely. horses and whale yeah. noises it's, yeah. very, it's, oh, okay. very, it's very sort of like 1970s tech which I think fits the kind of like style of this sort of making it would be how if I was going to make a, a, an independent film I would do all my sound effects like that I just mix shit together until you got a like, horrible sound if there's a if if there's a large monster, I'm just going to get an elephant's noise and a wildebeest noise and yeah, mix it together mix and see together, what goes make down. Make it a bit yeah. higher, you know, fuck shit up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adam's oh audio mentality yeah, full yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. That's how I roll, as they're staring at the time travel device, Aaron asks Abe, you know, so what did you do all day the first time round? You're obviously a time traveling Abe. You've obviously lived through the day one time, come back and now you're with me. What did you do the first time round? And Abe just calm, calmly, comfortably explains, well, no, I just I went to a hotel all day. I just hung out at the hotel, didn't do anything, didn't see anyone. And then I came back here, uh, did a little time traveling. So now I'm here with you. I'll tell you what's fascinating about this for me is like from the beginning, Abe completely understands how to use time travel. Oh yeah, he's like it's, he, it's he's a native to it somehow. Yeah, he's like he's like well, I can't do anything. Of course, I can't do anything. I can't just go wandering around. I might walk into my other self. He's you know a really I mean? like, sensible guy. Yeah, it's yeah. really like really like well, I'll just stay in a room. I won't do anything. I'll cut myself off from everything, and then it will be like you know. There's a scene where he eats a cupcake. And it's the most meticulous cupcake eating scene you could imagine. And it really brings to point the fact that, in fact, in the very start of the film, over the phone call, we hear that they are meticulous and clearly Abe is. There's kind of more to that as well, because a little kind of like extra trivia thing that I found out was there is only one deleted scene that they did for this entire movie. And it set Abe up as being diabetic. So there is a moment where he takes his insulin through it. So that sort of like puts further emphasis on the fact that he is meticulous. And he has to be because if you miss your insulin, he's prearranged. You know, yeah. yeah, he's he's planning. So what it is, well, also adds to why he's eating a muffin. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why they, they so they deleted the I the insulin scene but kept the muffin scene. They're yeah. like, which one is more affirming of how much of a meticulous this guy is? Yeah. Uh, having diabetes and and doing his insulin, or the way he undresses that muffin? <laughs> <laughs> Sexual almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know. There's also a really interesting part here where Aaron's asking Abe. What was it like? What's it like in there? And we get a few things like there's a static shock, which we later find out is apparently a lie. <laughs> um, but there's something interesting where they talk about this a couple of times through the film, how it's so peaceful and quiet inside and how they feel like one of them has like a lucid dream about being on a beach. And in fact, the other one is like, oh, I, I basically have that exact same dream while I'm in there. 
and I I thought about it for a while and I wondered why they put it in there. And I imagine it's because it's a sensory deprivation tank that they're in. Um, and actually, it, it made me wonder, and it's because the gravity's being blocked, the time's being blocked, every kind of possible input is being blocked. It is probably the only time ever that they have been completely silent and alone with their own thoughts. And it's good, if you think about it, that that went somewhere peaceful. Because I can imagine a world where being completely cut off and isolated like that would not be a peaceful experience, but quite terrifying. Mm. And they they have every right to have like a lot of anxiety going into that box, a lot of paranoia, a lot of uncertainty, and like all of these things combined with some sensory deprivation and combined with the fact that they're alone but together in this, you know, they're in a box. They're in a box together and then in a box alone. You know, it's a babushka doll of, of yeah. weird feelings. Incredibly stressful. So I, I put a box in front of you, Scott, and I say, get inside there, mate. I filled it full of argon for you first. Thank you so much. Uh, you can't breathe that, don't you worry. Can't, you can't breathe that, don't worry. So I'll give you this oxygen mask. Oh, great. Be real I love oxygen. And then yeah. just take some tramadol. That'll be great, too. That'll just oh, knock you straight out. What a good time. But I think, <laughs> I think it does play to the fact that it's a pleasurable experience. So it's mm. almost like it, it's a drug and they're going to keep chasing that high. Yeah. And the chase of a high has to begin with the first high, uh, which, you know, Aaron, after a sleepless night, they both have sleepless nights. They they meet up. They decide, what should we do? Uh, is it the lottery? Nope, the lottery's not good enough. You can make way more money by just simple stock trading and investing. And so Abe lays out the plan. Pulling sickies from work, they both head over to the storage facility, making sure to leave a spare car outside. And at 8.30, they set the machine's timer and leave. At 8.45, the machine comes on, and by 8.49, it's totally warmed up. They've done that so they won't bump into each other, because, of course, they're going to come out of the machine at about 8.45-ish. After leaving AA, they head over to the hotel room and make sure to disconnect themselves completely from the outside world. No beepers, no television, no fax machines, no pigeons coming to the window, and crucially, no cell phones. Oh, but they do play a game of Scrabble. And we have... Oh my God, is this a, a little reference in here somewhere? It's, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a real reference. I hate this film. <laughs> no, it's not a real reference, but Aaron is trying to kind of get away with a word that doesn't exist. He goes for the word evacipate. Which is which is not a real world. Um, it's yeah, not a real I, world of aspect. It's it's a no nonsense. But people online have taken to using the word evacipate to mean undo the past. Uh, so it's kind okay. of become nice. its own word oh, now as a fun. result of this scene. Yeah, okay. there isn't a word, uh, just a shorthand word for undoing the past. Yeah, oh, he evacipated it. Yeah, it's yeah. rewound. Nice. Or yeah, I wish they made it a word yeah. that wasn't so bloody hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Now, leaving the hotel at 2.30pm, AA pick up an oxygen tank, compile their research into what shares have done well that morning and that day, and they head back to the storage facility. How American is it, by the way, that you can just get out there and buy an oxygen tank and mask from a shop? Yeah, remember that brief period where it was really difficult to get oxygen tanks that we've just gone through recently? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah there that, was that period. That jumped into my head, you know, that was, that was weird. At 315 they cut off the power to the box, and by 3.19, the box settles down into its consistent whir. This, as they mention, is the, this, as Abe mentions, is the window of opportunity to get inside the box. You want to get in when the consistent whir begins, but not before it completely shuts down. Abe says, it's not safe, it does hurt, but I came out alive, didn't I? Which is, you know, the kind of convincing I would what absolutely <laughs> not be happy with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hop in the box, set the timer for six hours, 
and wait it out, effectively. Oxygen tanks in tow. Taking a little bit of Dramamine just so that they don't get any kind of nausea. and Just a, little a bit trip. Of, <laughs> I think it's just so that they're a bit dopey so they don't worry about the amount of time they're in there for. If you're the did star... Did I say Tramadol earlier? Did I mean Dramamine? You meant Dramamine, but I left it because Tramadol will do the same yeah. job. I would have accepted That's my both, drug of yeah. choice when I'm going inside a box. Oh, if... no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> leave that in, leave that in, leave that in, leave that in. No, don't leave that in. Well, in light of that, Adam, <laughs> if you are a staff member at Big Yellow Storage and you just hear a commotion, you walk into a storage thing and you see James and Adam inside the box high as shit on Tramadol. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> six hours later for them, six hours earlier for the world, Double A emerge from their electro boxes and crucially, they leave without turning the machine off. Well, of course, because if they did turn the machines off, there would be nothing to have sent them back in time. So their selves in the future who then come back and get in the box to come back in time wouldn't be able to come back in time. And I think interestingly here, we notice that Aaron pops out just a little bit later than Abe, which makes you feel like, oh, he's maybe been a bit worried and so he didn't know what he's doing, blah, blah. The actual answer is he was worried, so he left early. And because he left early, he's popped out later because he spent less than six hours going back. He's only come back five hours, 59 minutes. So he's popped out a little bit early. And potentially because he's popped out when the machine is still winding down, he gets a lot more than a static shock and he looks shook up by it. He looks messed up, yeah. He's like nearly like being sick and he's like he absolutely he's like drained, you can see it in his face. Like, There's a weird cut here as well where like you you hear him coming out, but you don't see you hear the noise, and the next thing you see is him in the fetal position outside. You don't see the door open, you don't see I was just really suspect of this moment. Nothing mm. comes of it, but there's yeah, there's something weird camera work wise going on here. Mm. I, I don't know what it was exactly. I'm sure it's a it's weird moment. Yeah. I'm sure it's just a, it feels again, like everything you, is, yeah. you know. Interestingly, I think this is again, we've talked about how there might be a couple of timelines going on simultaneously being filmed mm. here. I think this is probably literally the first time that Aaron has ever travelled, which is why he looks so concerned by the whole experience. At this point, Abe and Aaron leave the facility, hop in that spare car that they left themselves earlier. They are now experiencing this day again. And so it's time to buy some shares. As the day ends, the, we can see the sun setting in the distance. The, the boys head out and they watch their previous selves walking into the storage facility to do the bit of time travelling that our Abe and Aaron, the ones we've been watching, have just done. So as far as we're aware, this is Abe's second time travel moment and, and Aaron's, Aaron's first. first yeah and you're about to watch them go back in for that same time later that evening after a successful travel uh, uh Abe and Aaron are at Aaron's house with uh, uh Aaron's partner Kara in the kitchen Aaron admits that if he could do whatever he wanted and then rewrite the timeline so that none of it ever existed, the first thing he would do is he would go and he would break his boss's nose. Which, by the way, everyone else is super supportive of. They're like, yeah, yeah. be a real man, yeah, break your boss's nose. Kara yeah. says, his partner says, my, wow, my guy, the hero. What's heroic? I mean, I'm not against punching your boss's nose, but I wouldn't, it's not heroic. I don't, no. know. I don't know if it was like, I mean, it's not sarcasm because I'm not sure Americans understand sarcasm, do they? But it's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those like old jokes. But I was like... She seems surprisingly weird about this. Like that that whole moment is like, yeah, you she go, my man. It. Yeah, she's turned on by the fact that he's about to go and break <laughs> a nose. She's into it. She's, she's into, into it, it. Man. Yeah, yeah. Now Abe's playing along. He's all fine having having the chit chat. It's only at the point where Aaron says that he would use the time travel to erase his decision. It's not like, what would you do if you could do it? It's like, no, what would you could do if you had some time travel? And that's when Abe's Abe's skin prickles. That's when he's not happy about things. And I think it's important because it shows that Aaron probably doesn't have exactly the same motivations here as Abe does. 
And I think this is the first time that Abe realizes that this person who is his his best friend maybe isn't actually the best person to have this newfound power. Mm. It's a real problem, you know, you discover time travel and you don't get to pick who you discover it with. Or you, you, <laughs> you know what I mean? And with this whole moment is interrupted by, just a little aside, it's Kara complaining to uh, her partner Aaron about the uh, the noises, the rats in the attic. She's uh, There's noises in the attic, Aaron. There's rats up there. Mm-hmm. Can you please deal with it? But Aaron just fobs her off and says, yeah, it's probably birds. I'm not going to go up there and kill some birds. That's so, that's that's not nice. You don't want the dead birds up there. Come you on, have yeah, a laugh. Baby birds, yeah, exactly. I think she says. Yeah, he does, like, he does yeah just to put a little bit more like emphasis on it. But unfortunately for Abe, the idea has been planted, and so we later see them at a petrol station. They are Abe is now the one bringing up, you know, rewriting and and what, what how would you do it? And you know, he's he's serious. The the problem is it's it's stressing him out. You know, the potential of this. I thought that line was really interesting. That like the seed had been planted, like the idea of planting in his head, and it's like once you've had a thought, you, there's no putting it back in. Like it's Pandora's box. Moment, yeah, yeah, Pandora's box. Once you've opened it, that's it. You know, it's it's out there in the world. And and of course, Abe is the only one of the two of them that has any idea about paradoxes yes <laughs> Aaron doesn't even believe in paradoxes <laughs> apparently it's not that he doesn't care about them which he also makes clear it's that he doesn't care about them and also doesn't believe them at all which yeah, is just weird. A, a weird stance to take but okay he says actually I mean Aaron at this point is getting a bit sort of like I don't know a bit sort of airy fairy like a bit um, philosophical but not in a not in a true sense it's almost in a deflective way he says things like you know well the worst thing in the world is to know that the moment you're experiencing has already been defined and then you know very quickly thereafter he says what what's worse thinking you're being paranoid or knowing you should be ironic considering the tone the film takes yeah the movie starts to kind of move forward here momentum starts to build in the plot we see them continue to jump back together continue to make more money together we also get a little glimpse of you know just one day Aaron's Aaron's ear has started bleeding yeah and I think in the scene before that when they were plotting out the um the kind of stocks they were going to go for Aaron's handwriting is is very deliberate and, and doesn't look great. And Abe has a real poignant look at his hands, being like, that's strange that his handwriting's not great. Yeah, you, you don't, they don't sort of mention it at this stage, but there's something's going, something weird's going on there, right? Oh, it's yeah. Like, do, we, do we get any idea now here of how many times we reckon that they've gone back in time here to make the... Yeah, I think we're about to hit, supposedly, yeah. journey number four for Aaron and number five for Abe. Right. Those numbers are actually a bit nebulous because some other stuff goes on later yeah. on which just, suggests that the numbers are probably closer to six yeah. and six i just wondered uh, sort of how 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 many times they jumped to like make the amount of money that they're trying to make I was just, no i mean i know what you thing. mean because this so I mean, like, I, it could be a, you know it's not a montage scene but you would there's nothing like it. wrong yeah. yeah it feels like a montage scene yeah. it feels like oh yeah so they jump and they make money and they jump and they make money and there's so many other movies that would use this kind of scene as a way of saying and so two three months went by they kept jumping they kept making money yeah. then his ears started to bleed but this movie is so kind of like insular and contained that it could just be as, as you said James no this is four how many have you seen Adam it's four so this is number four yeah. and you know there's also the one you didn't see but we've logged that and mm. it's all logged and 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 accounted for and we do know not yet but we will soon know the total number of days that they've been jumping for because there is a scene that's going to come up later where we'll have the specific to the day and hour number of times that they have jumped cool we switch to Abe in the garage, sans Aaron, uh, as Robert and Philip, who haven't uh, shown up in a while, they walk in. They tell Abe that at Robert's party, at Robert's birthday party, Rachel's crazy ex showed up with a gun. A- Abe is immediately like, what? I beg your pardon? We immediately, jarringly cut to nighttime and we're at a public fountain. Philby the cat has run away. God damn it, Philby. 
screw you, Philby. Sc- sc- stop screwing me. I hated this scene. It's the only scene yeah. in the movie that I overtly do not like because I think you go, they go too far in sacrificing the quality of the, of the audio. Oh, and, and mm. the video. In fact, the, if you look at their faces, it's almost grainy because of how yeah. bad it shows up. I completely misread this the first time I watched it because it, I was like, oh, they've gone to the fountain because they need to discuss something that they need sound to stop them from being overheard for no they that's, want you that's for it, you apparently it's literally just for like just for us it's weird i i agree i agree very much with what you said i give me one or the other mm. it's a dark scene or it's a hard to hear scene with water yeah, running you around you know, I, it's just i just honestly the first time round, i i watched this scene i rewound it i saw it again and i just said okay that's not for me to get and i admittedly uh uh i didn't have subtitles while i was watching it so I didn't get the script kind of unfurling before my eyes. But mm. I shouldn't have to have the script unfurling before no. my eyes. And I accept a lot of the intentional kind of uh, obfuscation, but I don't I don't consent to this one. <laughs> I, it, it was too <laughs> yeah. much for me. Anyway, they're in this pub, public fountain area looking for the cat. They're also arguing. Abe's not happy because Aaron has, quote, risked his life to save Rachel at Robert's party. What's interesting here is we know that Aaron was successful because he's here and alive. So he risked his life, but he was successful. Yes. Well, and also because because Robert and Philip would have said somebody was killed. At the Sorry, party, for right? loss, Sorry for your <laughs> loss. Sorry for your loss. And yeah, so like it, it gives it away, way ahead of where we should be. Uh, yeah. Am I led to believe effectively, and this is what I, but this is how I feel, that in between the last scene and this, Many, many things have happened, as you said, James, including, yes, Aaron did successfully go to that party and he's now and he's back from it now and everything's fine. And he's and he's also revealed it to Abe enough so that Abe is now angry about it. Like all of these things have happened and we are supposed to glean them from the first two lines of dialogue that are spoken over one another with water running in the background. Yeah, I think you can, you can only get them really if you've seen the film for a second time. Yeah. Yeah. You might click later on, but it, you wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't obviously look back on it and think, "Oh, that's what they were referencing in this scene." I think you have to watch this more than once. <laughs> we cut to back in the hotel room. The lads are having another go back get rich day. Really homophobic scene. Homophobic scene. Yeah, he talks about how it, he doesn't want to have the guys thinking about them going into the um, shuttered oh, thing shit, together. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, yeah. he talks about not going up to the hotel room together. And then do you hear what he says on the phone? He does. To, he says. Uh, I don't want to eat with those offset fags. Yeah, and oh, like wow. I, I didn't catch that I wanted at all. to, I wanted to bring this up as well because, like, it's it's you can't. I wouldn't even say like, oh, it's of its time. It's two thousand and four. Yeah, like it's 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 not of its time. In two thousand and four, the word fag was upsetting, offensive, and just not just as upsetting and offensive as it is in two thousand twenty two. It is much more today because the world has come places, but. It was still upsetting and offensive then, and it immediately colours Aaron as like, oh yeah, you're a you're a shit dude. Oh yeah, it's, it's also, an unpleasant scene. Also considering the guy playing Aaron saying this is Shane Carruth, the guy who wrote this film and is directing this film and making every choice. And so in retaliation, I have decided to headcanon cast Robert and Phil as husbands. <laughs> <laughs> um if I told you that Shane Carruth is a born and bred Christian. Would that uh, make that a difference ab- to you? It could, could colour me. And also bear in mind this film is set in Texas. I was gonna, that was why I was going to say it tracks. So it I, tracks because they're Texas-based. I, I mean, I, I sat there. Now you've said that, James. I'm just like, well, it's Texas. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember the, when this, because I obviously had the subtitles on. When I saw that subtitle came up, 
I'd already been a bit jarred by the scene. I was a bit like, oh, that's a bit ups- upsetting. But then I saw that come up and I went, wow, this is... I didn't see this mm, the first time around, and it's kind of coloured this for me now. No, mm. I, I totally get what you mean, and it's something that I would... I'm not saying I would mention it up top when I recommended this to someone, but it definitely detracts from... If I recommended this to someone, I would want them to know that I wasn't totally fine with that scene, you know? Yeah. But it's fine, because the heroes of this story are gay couple Robert and Phil, who's <laughs> six, who don't get into any of this stupid bullshit with Abe and yeah, Aaron. They just focus on their relationship, and that's, you know... Just good people. Only healthy relationship in the film. Now, that terrible phone call is from Aaron's partner, Kara. Uh, but the more important thing about this phone call is, is that he's, he's fucked up. Aaron is fucked up. He shouldn't have his phone on him. No, no, no fax machines, no pacers, not... Pa- yeah, pacers? Pages, not pacemakers, pages. sorry. Pacers are a type yeah. of horse, I think. Yeah, no horses Watch in the you. room either, guys. Mm-hmm. But he's just he's not supposed to have his phone here for very obvious time travel paradoxical reasons. Bro, you weren't supposed to do this. And yet, and yet, lo and behold, he has. They have to think on their feet real quick, real sharp as the phone's ringing. They decide that their, their other selves aren't back yet. So it's fine to pick up the call. Another example, by the way, of this is straight after Abe's anal scene with the muffin cupcake. Let him get that one. out there. That's a weird one. Anally retentive scene. Uh-huh. Um, sorry. And so we've seen how meticulous Abe is. And Aaron's such a fool that he's just got his phone on him. Like he's completely forgotten that he's got his phone on him. He doesn't apologise either, does no, he? No, he's unlikable. He's, in this just like, he's just like, I was kind of like sitting there and I'm thinking, well, come on, you're supposed to both be in this together. There's very clearly a different agenda here from Aaron. It's like, yeah. it's very clear that he's like, no, I've got my phone on me. And but, he's, he said at the pump like 20 minutes ago, what's worse, uh, feeling paranoid or feeling like you should be to some effect? And it's like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I should be right now, Aaron, because this is, you know, suspect behaviour. And yet they decide, uh, you know, post-Muffin to to just continue with the time travel day as it is. Afterwards, they head out to eat and Aaron's phone rings again. Because he's still such a fool that he can't leave his phone immediately after being told to do so. And the quick thinking they have to do and the kind of logic they, they, they settle on at the end is even more tenuous, I would say. It's even worse at this point. The best thing to do should have been he answers the phone and tries to best replicate the phone call. But instead, he just lets it ring out. And as we hear, um, I think the exact phrase is, symmetry has been broken. So they're now realising that this is a bit of a causality problem. Interestingly, though, this might be when Abe realises, well, nothing's happened after the symmetry was broken. So maybe we can get away with doing things like this. Uh, It's the worst thing for people in their position to be tempted with... Oh, no, no. You thought it was going to go really bad. You were being super, super, super cautious. We got away with it. Drop yeah, one of those yeah, yeah. supers, friend. Yeah, you've got yeah. like a little bit of wiggle room. You don't want any wiggle room in the time travel game. No. Which is, of course, going to lead up well to the next scene where they agree to a deliberately break symmetry. Uh, yeah, this is the this is the wiggle room in full effect. This is the tease of the wiggle carrot for the donkey. And later that night at two o'clock. No, I'm sorry. I've been sitting here <laughs> and letting you get away with this shit the whole way through. I that was, yeah. Wiggle room for the time travel carrot donkey. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, oh no. I'm going to call it my wiggle carrot later. Now. <laughs> 
later that night at two o'clock in the morning, some inhumane delinquents skating down the street are setting off car alarms, and this wakes Abe up. And immediately, eyes wide, he he senses the opportunity. He's you know a little Aaronish in his grasping of opportunity at this point. He heads over to Aaron's house and he looks him clean in the eye and says, "Listen, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it now." Now, is this because he wants to do it, or is well, it because... the it is by just to remind the listen? The, so the it is breaking his boss's nose yes yeah sorry yes is it because he wants to do it as well or is it because he knows aaron's gonna do it and he just needs he's like this is the time we can get away with. i think I it's think vicarious he, yeah. living i think i my my thoughts were that he needs he needs to get ahead of Air, of aaron's plan essentially he's like I, I can't deal with any of this i need to get this thing done with aaron so he needs he to control aaron's chaos he needs to yeah exactly aaron is all chaos abe is all order and it's like Abe trying to put order on Aaron's chaos. That's how it makes I sense. If I know that he's yeah. gonna, if I know he's gonna do this crazy thing, let I me sh- at least tell him when to do it and how to do it, and I be with be him while he sure does it. it. Goes properly. That's yeah, very yeah, yeah. Abe. Yeah, I totally get that. Mm. The logic is is that if Abe and Aaron go and punch Aaron's boss right now, and then time travel backwards and prevent the skaters from waking up Abe, the Abe in the in the timeline will then not be awake to go and offer Aaron this opportunity to sock his boss. So the only two people who will have ever done this thing will immediately rewrite it out of existence. Which to me seems like a bit of a pointless thing to fuck around with, really. If nobody's going to remember it and it's not going to have any effect, it's just like a, a, a vanity project for, for is it, Aaron. Is it, the, are, is it the action of two people who are feasibly making millions of dollars right now? It doesn't seem like a sensible action. That's for sure. Do they it ever seem like foolish. they're making millions of dollars? Because I tell you now, I'd be jumping for joy at my bank account. Like, and they never do. They're just pre, they're mired in their own bullshit. He talks I... about how one of the stocks goes up 10 times. So yeah. if you put a $2,000 in there, you'd have 20000 And he doesn't celebrate that. He's just like, we could go to Cancun or we could... Like, I don't just expect them a... to spend it, but at least be like really jolly about it, right? It's the only thing I thought was a little bit... It doesn't seem like a human reaction because I feel like they managed to keep a hold of getting out of control. Yeah. Like if you, once you've started that, once you've like nibbled on the end of the like the baguette there, you're going to... I don't know where the fuck that was going. <laughs> <laughs> nibbled on the Weird. end of a baguette? Yeah, that's um, how we tease. Once, once you've... Uh, what I was going for, once you started pulling on the string, it's starting to unravel the kind yes. of ball of yarn, isn't it? That's what I was trying yeah, to get yeah. at. The nibbled and baguette. The nibbled baguette. Um, you know, and you, you've had a taste of it, you want more, and eventually, I feel like every human being, the greed thing would take over, and it you would be like, well, we need to make more, we need to make more yeah, money, yeah. we can make billions here it doesn't matter but they don't do that it's very like we made like a million on the stocks well later in the film aaron sort of does fall that way but for now it's impressive yes aaron asks that he asks abe well in order for this plan to work the machine would have to have been running and it's it's not been running surely at which point abe reveals that he's he's been turning the machines on at 5 p.m so as long as they break aaron's boss's nose before 3 a.m they'll be fine to spend 10 hours in the box heading back to 5pm. This is, again, another scene, lots of crosstalk, harsh camera angle. I didn't grasp it fully the first time. Fifth time, I didn't grasp it fully. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's another example of um, Abe being extra meticulous. So he's kind of fashioned a fail-safe for his own life here. Every day at 5pm, he's turned on a box, which means... If something goes horribly wrong, a 
And he's like, oh no, I need to undo this. Easy, he can go back as soon as he wants to. I think this also may be a time that Aaron puts two pieces of information together that he's learnt in the film and it's and leads to a scene that's coming up quite shortly. I don't think there's any much more to it than the fact that he wants to have that little mini failsafe. But I do think this is a moment where Abe has kind of shot himself in the, his own foot. It's a bit untrustworthy. Like at any point, if I'm Aaron or Abe and I hear that my counterpart has done something with the machine yeah. that I didn't know about, I'm not going to be happy. Now, we know that Aaron is a untrustworthy, funky guy who makes terribly offensive phone calls. Abe, on the other hand, is supposed to be this kind of like uh, uh, pragmatic knight in shining armor. And, you know, so for him to do this thing, again, it's just it builds them. It's reaffirming that they are both prone to slips in judgment effectively i guess now as they leave to to head off to aaron's boss's nose what greets them outside it's uh thomas granger's car we remember thomas granger earlier in the movie the potential funding that was potential funder that was at the party thomas granger's car is outside with thomas inside and aaron points out that the thomas who sat inside has a very very heavy beard and yet he also remembers seconds later that but I saw Thomas Granger earlier this afternoon and he was completely cleanly shaven which is you know intimating to us that you know this bearded Thomas Granger must be a time travel time travelee. He then does the phone call to Granger to try and test this theory and sure enough Granger is at home and he has a very brief chat with him to establish there are two Grangers currently in this timeline. They've added a point of stress to their character sheets. It's getting pent up at the moment. And Aaron's solution is he jumps straight out of the car and he chases down this bearded Granger who's, you know, looks unsteady. And, and again, nighttime scene. We're seeing a lot of it through a car windshield. Yeah. Uh, very You're blurry. You're not seeing a lot of it no. at all. <laughs> but to be fair, I think it does really kind of ramp up the weirdness of the moment mm. and the, the, the stress of hold on, hold the phone. There's a third time traveller. It's just not one of us, Ima- which is a big deal. And just, it's Granger of all people. Yeah, imagine you've been time travelling. You think you're the only two people who would do it. And then somebody else has been doing it it that you didn't know about it's really like really like jarring it's like a really unnerving moment it's weird i think it might mean as well that there's probably a lot of time travel that should now be happening or should happen in the future Mm. that won't because they've witnessed this granger thing they may have gotten too big from their boots they may have accelerated some of their plans done stuff that was a bit too big and it's resulted in granger coming back And this is the event that stops that from happening. Mm. There's a bit of a weird chase scene here where they try and chase him down. And we're sort of supposed to believe that they both tripped over. It's very, very staged, in my opinion. Like, it just looks weird. Yeah, I feel like, did perhaps Aaron take things too far? We, We learn that Granger ends up in a vegetative state. Is that an accident or was yeah. that to do with Aaron? Even Aaron's demeanour when, when when Abe runs around the corner, we see that off camera seemingly uh, Aaron tackled Granger and Granger's on the floor, Aaron's on the floor. And Aaron's whole demeanour is one of, I'm, I'm glad you didn't see what I just did. Kind very of thing. If Aaron had stood up and turned to Abe and said, no witnesses, I'd have totally been on board <laughs> with what's happening. Storming into the storage facility, Abe wants to know what box Thomas Granger used. Because as far as we know, there are just these two boxes that Double A have been using the whole film round. The narrator pops back into the movie to inform us, as you said, Thomas Granger, in a vegetative state. And that the boys have no way of knowing 
what in the timeline has been changed. All they really know is the only thing that's changed is that they are having the discussion about what has changed. And a second difference being they have a comatose man in the next room. We switch over to Abe, steely, focused. The narrator tells us that, you know, he's been making a list of what he needs to do in his head. He opens... Two floors up in the storage facility, a room containing what we and the narrator will henceforth refer to as the failsafe machine. Very Abe move, by the way. To oh have yeah, a backup. Huge Abe move to Huge already Abe have move. a backup. It's the guy who turned the machine on at five p.m. Why would you it not is. just make yeah. that a better, more, more valuable mm. kind of uh, failsafe? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, at this point, he sets a timer for four days. What timer is he using? Is it his watch? Because. I don't know what timer I have that could do four days before an alarm went off. I mean, I think that I I would hope that digital clock input is the least of the time travel inventors' I suppose, worries, I you know. But yeah, you're right. It's like th- when we see the clock, it's counting down like three hours, three days, twenty two hours, twenty. You know, and so yeah, he set it for for almost four days. And having acquired the various drugs, sustenance, tanks, gases to be in the box for the long haul, back Abe goes. Long haul Abe emerges from the failsafe machine and immediately goes, finds his sleeping past self, pops a gas mask on him and takes him out of the equation, allowing our long haul Abe to replace himself in the timeline. We know that he uses NOS here because he mentions that he's going to get laughing gas, which makes me feel like while he is knocking himself out, at least his past self's having a great yes. time. He's having a jolly good time. He's you, giggling away. You'd assume you were just on <laughs> drugs. Like, what happened to you last night? Oh, I just woke up, hysterical laughter. Myself was choking me. It was great. <laughs> oh, oh, so you have night terrors too? Yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> and we are back at the top of the building. This is the scene from 2001 in the movie earlier on. We're back at the top of the building as Abe looks down on the grassy corporate spot and Aaron on a bench. He heads down to meet Aaron on a bench. The scene coming up is is very, very important. And arguably every scene for the rest of the movie <laughs> is very, very important. This time around, with our long-haul Abe approaching Aaron on a bench, this time around, instead of Abe speaking naturally, instead of him being comfortable, he has to, on the fly, remember what it was that he said the first time around. The first time round, uh, as Abe arrives, he's kind of talking to Aaron. Is like, uh, what are you listening to? And Aaron explains that he's listening to March Madness. And then he asks him, so who, who, who specifically? And he's like, oh, it's it's Carolina, Michigan. But this time round, he doesn't ask him who. Aaron is kind of caught off guard here and doesn't know what to reply. You see, he even touches his earpiece because, as we'll soon find out, the information of what he's supposed to say is being pumped through. Instead, he has a quick pause and then just responds with, I don't even know, which should have been to, what's the score? I don't even know what. And it feels really out of place and really forced because because ultimately it is. Abe's fucked here. He's, yeah. he's, he, yeah. he looks it. He looks in a bad way. Mm. He's so fucked that he ends up just collapsing. And that's where you get the reveal of the earpiece, at least for, for Abe and a bit more for the audience at this point. That, yeah, the earpiece has just been feeding Aaron lines. That Aaron on a bench was not just a, a, a virginal fresh Aaron to the timeline. He knew everything that was happening and he had been, uh, 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 he'd been being fed info by another Aaron. Aaron is now forced into explaining to Abe that he found out about the failsafe machine pretty early on. And so he knew what Abe was up to. He, you know, went as far as to open up the room and see that the box was on and there was probably an Abe inside it. Aaron had also cottoned onto the fact that the boxes are foldable. And so you can just fold up a box and take it with you 
inside a box, effectively not making them one-use devices. You know, you can just recycle them over and over. Does does the box inside the box mean that you does that does it ever describe like how does it make the time jumps longer? No, no it doesn't. It's no. just a, okay. Fine, doesn't matter. Carry on. What were you about to say, James? Interesting thing. I'm just going to point out here. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I just so happen the way that I arrange my emails. This is going to be sound very very sad. Is I put them all in folders, but because there are some folders more important than others, I'll put A and then the name of the folder. So like A, electric vehicles, and then maybe all the way down at the bottom, I'll put Z, unsuitable, just so that I know that they're at the opposite ends. Aaron, double A, is just ahead of Abe, A-B, in the alphabet. Aaron is just ahead of Abe when he travels back because of the way he sets up the boxes. Yes. You, you bastard. Do it. Do it. Do more. Is it the fact that Aaron is first in the dictionary and he's the first to cotton on here deliberate? Fuck yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Absolutely. You know why? Because I think so. I think, and I thought this the whole movie, and I didn't know how to sort of word it fully, and you've just done it marvelously. Mm. Is that you do not in a movie name both of your characters with A names. Yeah. Every unless... time you say double A, it feels like there's a deliberate reason. Yeah, it's got to be, it's intentional. You'd Aaron and Abe, and it's again, yeah, Abe is such an obvious, there are very few names, male names that begin with A, B. So, you know, to do, you could have just said, oh no, to hell with it. We'll call him Archer. We'll call him Archer. Yeah. But we'll call him Charlie. We'll call him, no. It was intentional. I just didn't know where yeah. the where the source thing I was. I didn't but know yeah. how it applied to anything. That's, that's exactly what it is, and I mean, no doubt. You'd yeah. never call two characters jack and jackie and have them wear a jacket no you'd never do that insanity really now when long haul aaron arrived in the past he drugged his past self much like uh, abe turger did hey, a great way of doing it by the way injecting something into the top of his milk card yeah. i loved oh, that shit. and much more sinister He's you know way more. Gas, your, kids, man. <laughs> gas yourself with gas yourself with nitrous give yourself a nice in your sleep and so it's less you know than i'm going to uh uh, uh you know what's the word when you just plot things out and it's like a like a home not homeopathy sociopathic or you know something like that i love how you thought homeopathy <laughs> and sociopathic. all of the pa- all of the path homeopathy sociopathy <laughs> you know yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. um yeah. but yeah it's it's premeditated and planned and it's yeah way more sinister the whole syringe injection and more violent because he, he falls to the ground and drops his cereal bowl have you ever fallen like completely down unconscious because it is it is it's a- painful yeah. A horrifying experience. It's I'm he- like you're a heavy. You're much heavier than you think. When oh yeah, you, all yeah. of your muscles just cut weight. out. That's yeah, all it is right. It's exactly just, yeah. right. Where does he stash the dead weight that is uh, uh, the uh, the past Aaron? Where does he stash him? With, with the rats? With the baby birds in the attic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> with the birds and the rats in the with attic. The birds and the rats no, in the attic. there was never anyone in the attic. There was never any rats. There was never any birds. It was another Aaron. You've gaslit your partner <laughs> over the course of this film. I I just don't believe that a man thumping on the inside of an attic would sound like birds or rats. I'm trying to work out, was he thumping? Was he just writhing in pain? Yeah, is I he... think writhing. Like, how Scratching, is... clawing. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> a rat. <laughs> you know the episode of The Simpsons? Where... Every now and then just chirping to <laughs> fuck them up. <laughs> Squeaking because he can. You know. The episode of The Simpsons where Bart has an evil twin that's left. That's what <laughs> yes, I was thinking yeah, of the whole right? time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm. She evidently, Cara does not go up into the attic very regularly. Well, she's, she's terrified she would have of baby terrified of the yeah, rats. Well, exactly, yeah, the true. Rats the size of humans now this again as i said all of the scenes from this point on are crazy and all of them are detailed and all of them have radical implications so we have seen aaron go on the long haul back he's drugged what we will call aaron one chucked him in the attic 
And then if that wasn't enough, the Aaron that's left over, with Aaron 1 chucked up in the attic, the Aaron left over, Aaron 2, is then ambushed by an Aaron 3. An Aaron 3 from further in the future that decided he wanted to come back to be a hero. They tussle, but it doesn't go as you would think. It's not as simple as one was replaced by two, so three is going to now come in and replace him. No, they tussle and it, it doesn't work out. Aaron 3 is obviously completely fucked at this point. The he's amount of time spent. travel he's yeah. done has just he, damaged him. He's not strong enough to take on a stronger version of himself. It's you know, interesting like... to think that time travel would physically damage you in this yeah. way, but but I wonder, it's it's kind of the toll that's been taken from the 36-hour the days, mm. and we know there's a bit of an issue with the handwriting, etc., etc. Neurologically, you'd be a mess, because, yeah, yeah the yeah, writing definitely. and, uh, you you know, all that kind of stuff. As we said, Aaron 3, he can't beat 2. He's too much of a mess. And yet still, noticing that like Aaron 3 really has a lot of skin in this game, he seems to be really kind of set in his ways. Yeah. Aaron 2 decides to just, just cut, to just leave. He's you know grabs his hoodie at the door and you know flashes a smile, and he's out of here. And so that's when we learn that Aaron 2 is actually the narrator. The, the most knowledgeable person who knows what's going on about all this is actually an Aaron kind of out of time now. I thought that was that with was, a much that, deeper voice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought that was interesting because you would naturally sort of suspect that the latest version of Aaron, so the one who's travelled from the furthest away, would have the most knowledge. But that's not the case here. It's the, it's Aaron too that has the most knowledge about everything, right? And because he's kind of been observing everything. Yeah. Now that he knows, he's observing everything from the outside. Hence, why he's leaving this call, which I think we establish is actually the very first call in the film. The voicemail being left when Aaron looks over his shoulder as all yeah. the, the engineers are sitting around. I'm not 100% oh, really? sure if that's the first call. I think you're but supposed to presume it. Should, it, it should be, telling. right? Be, yeah. the, you it can't just... Have, yeah, there need, it yeah. needs to be rooted somewhere in yeah. this. So, yeah, which I, I like very much. I couldn't bring myself at that earlier juncture to kind of be labelling like, oh, yeah, Aaron's in the background making a call. I was just looking at the garage gang hanging out, the boys, <laughs> Robert and Phil. Love it ya. just seems weird that they would have that phone call happen and him look at it so poignantly. Yeah, no, fantastic. I love that. We get to see the extent to which Aaron has kind of rigged all of his stuff. We get him revealing to Abe the extent to which he has pre-recorded conversations. We get him walking, you know, handing Abe the recording and say, listen to this. I'm just about to go and have an, a little chit chat to this guy on the basketball court. We see him going as far to ensure that, you know, everything that is supposed to happen happens as, correct me if I'm wrong, inviting Rachel's ex to the party or saying to someone who says, well, I can bring this guy. And he says, yeah, yeah, bring him, bring him. Oh, yeah, which kind of proves that it is definitely his fault that it all even kicked off to start with. It's insane. This is a really bad moral moment for Aaron, in my opinion. From a man who is now so broken he can no longer make a basketball shot. Is this the moment that we see the handwriting again? We do see it again. We yes. do see them. This Were is where Abe, I, Abe yeah. now like this says is the to, biggest he says to Aaron, yeah, like, sorry. come on, we can barely write, man. Like the, the, the relationship is getting fraught. The situation is getting fraught. Their, their health is going down the toilet. And Aaron argues at this point. He, he's trying to sort of say that, well, no, listen, yes, I am inviting him to the party. I'm creating the situation in which he's going to end up getting arrested. But I'm doing that because we, we practically know, right? And they don't know for sure at all. But we practically know that he's a problem guy and he's going to create bigger problems down the line. So let's nip it in the bud right now. We need it, him to go to prison. It's like a whole sort of we're going to create this non-inevitable bad event 
to avoid this uh, upside down quote marks inevitable very bad event. If there's you know there's there's minority reportish vibes of this. Oh yeah, you know, big yeah, time. Determine, and it, it's it's kind of like a, a, a summation. This one basketball scene is like a big summation of everything that they've been kind of hurtling, everything they've been bashing against this whole movie. It's mm. determination, it's free will, but it's also paranoia, it's manipulation, it's you know it's. All of the ethical, all of the moral, all of the time travel wrapped up in this one big, you know, yeah, you can't make the shot, Aaron, uh, but you also, uh, you've, you've, you're not making any moral or, or ethical shots either, yeah. friend. No way. Well, you're not my friend. You said the word fag on a phone call, you piece of shit. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we switch to the evening of Robert's party and our narrator, Aaron, too, tells us that the last revision of any event is what counts. It doesn't matter all the times that anyone or any of the other Aaron's went at this moment. It's the last time that counts. And so we see Aaron, Jerry, Aaron and Abe jerry-rigging again the situation, taking the bullets out of his gun. And we don't even get to see the save. It's done off screen. It's, you know, because it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. This, you know, this time around, Aaron gets to gets to have it. He gets to be the hero. He gets to make the save. There's an interesting point here where the narrator says, I don't know how many times it happened, three, four, 20, or maybe only one. And he kind of wants to believe it's only one. I don't see a way this film can make sense if it's more than one. Because of the other rules that we've established, I know he's saying it's the last revision that counts, etc., etc. But I don't see any way that it could work unless it's only one. Because if they're going back multiple times to relearn different things, whatever, whatever. There there would be a problem with what happens to the themselves that have travelled. So the boxes, I know he says they're no longer one, he realises they're not one use, but there's no one to travel back to become them. And sure, we've seen that they can have two or three of their own versions running around in the world, which is crazy, but surely at this point we'd then be seeing dozens of them potentially mm. all existing at once. I like the idea of trying to sow some doubt here. I don't know if it was deliberate that the writers or writer didn't think this part through and just wanted us to think about it ourselves, but I don't see a way it could be one more than one. It seems like a kind of just an edgy piece of writing, doesn't yeah. it? Like an edgy yeah. piece of script that's like, if you said we did it immediately on the first go, it's not as interesting as we don't know whether we attempted it 20 times or one time edgy's a good way to describe the narrator it's, through the whole thing he's yeah, very emo is. he's like you know i don't know how many times they did it and i like that we can't tell the voice of the narrator straight away we don't know it's aaron i assume it's the same i assume it's still shane who's doing the narration i'd assume he's done something really low grade and recorded himself and then just just toggled a pitch so they're not doing a how i met your mother thing and having a totally different voice <laughs> actor do the uh, <laughs> oh okay. yeah i know yeah it would no, be it would no. be completely against his like film ethics to like yeah, make yeah. a different person so and so we end the movie effectively with Aaron and Abe now stood at an airport. Aaron's leaving. And he's trying to convince Abe to come with him. He says that, you know, he says in the next four days we can head to Vegas. We could make millions. And so in my head, I'm like, OK, so these this is the Aaron and Abe who both they did the long haul back. So they're right back at the beginning. Yes, a little. They've had Rachel's party. But Rachel's party was at the beginning of a lot of these events. So they're still early in the timeline. And they have and he's mentioned four days. So, yeah. They have like a like like a four day Biff's almanac kind of thing where they've got four days worth of sports nice results. Back to the future reference liked it. Four days worth of of you know this team this and this point that this stock 
Park. They could. I don't know why they. I get why they have to go to Vegas. Probably the juiciest odds in America. But they stand to potentially just take themselves out of this situation entirely. Let the current timelines, Aaron and Abe, just live their lives and go off and just be happy and successful in the way that Aaron really wants to be. You can you can do really weird bets in Vegas. There's um there's a couple of places you can go where you can put bets on things like will someone twist an ankle in a football mm, game? Yeah. Like there, there are some really high stakes, bizarre things that you can bet on. So you could, for example, if you've got knowledge of four days and you know, even if you only know, I don't know, four basketball games, there might be a couple of hundred to one odds out there that you know are going to happen. Mm. Like we've seen the one scene where he suddenly realizes, oh, they're not going to win this game, but they're supposed Oh, oh no, they are. He could make a bet on that moment, for example, completely unexpected and unheard of, may have a 200 to one odd, put, I don't know, $100 on it and come away a very rich man. You want like the juiciest odds. They don't need to go to Vegas. They need to go to like a, a basement in Shanghai and put like all of their children's lives on the line as they bet everything on whether or not this person's going to cough in the next 42 minutes. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you do you. Yeah, you, you do I've you. had some holidays, guys. It's <laughs> dark. But Abe's not having any of this. He doesn't want to go to Vegas. He doesn't want to gamble. He doesn't want any fun. He doesn't really want anything to do with Aaron whatsoever. Abe is set on staying here, and he's so early in everything, he wants to stay here and just watch over the Abe and Aaron of this timeline and make sure they do not invent the time travel. He wants to play unspoken, quiet guardian. And he doesn't want Aaron to ever come back. He doesn't want him anywhere near this kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Piss (laughs) off. Stay away. Get on this plane. Hope it crashes. We briefly do switch to Aaron's house as Aaron won. Attic Aaron. He manages to escape. You know, falls down. Head head first. Head first. Screams at the top of his lungs. I am not a rat. (laughs) Not not sure that happens. That's what I would do. Do you see a different version of it? It's the thing I'd be the most angry about, I think. (laughs) It wouldn't be the locking or the drugging or anything like that. I'd be like, did you? (laughs) I heard through the walls. Did you think I was a rat? Honey? Cara's downstairs and just hears, I'm not a bird. I kept making <laughs> like, these bird noises for you to find me and you just said I was a rat? Our want, secret signal hey, was caca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, interesting point here. We see both the boys, the originals, originals, the timeline ones, I don't know. We see the two of them wake up. What do they think has happened? One I know, of them, right? One of them yeah. remembers being smothered and wakes up in a locked cupboard. The other one remembers eating a bowl of cereal and wakes up in the attic. And the final, final, final thing we see off in some French, some sun-drenched French paradise, we see... You say French paradise. Where do we think... Do we think he's in France or do we think he's gone somewhere where the rules are a bit more lax? No, the French wouldn't allow this, surely. (laughs) So he's gone to go and build himself a giant box. Yeah. So that he can can time travel Godzilla. (laughs) You would assume. What's the the point What, do you need a bigger box than a one-man box for you, Aaron? That is a good point. Is he trying to take a whole shit ton of people? He wants to take an army back into the past. To kill Abe. To do every <laughs> Abe possible. <laughs> I was going to say to do the Crusades oh, because Shane Carruth is a weird Christian. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's trying to do the modular box design as big uh, okay. as possible. Yeah, so it's the exact a... same modular design, but he wants the, the whole room-sized version. Now, again, I, I don't know what he would want to take back in time in a room-sized version. Well, you know, what, what what's France up to? We and, need to get to the bottom of it. That's what I will say. But then I, I do wonder, because he knows that he says something along the lines of it's the last revision that matters and the boxes aren't single use. Has he worked out a way, again, this all breaks physics, so it doesn't matter, that he could take something valuable back and have two copies of it? 
because he knows he can have two copies of himself. So let's say he gets a gold bar and takes a gold bar back, and then he comes and has two. Well, you know that you know that you can take things with you back in time because yeah. they have food and drink and stuff that doesn't just magically vanish. Yeah. Um. So presumably you can you can do that exact thing. You could you could take back something that is very rare and and double it, or you know you there would be two of those things in the different timeline at that point, right? Yeah, because you could just do what he's done mm. and interrupt himself before he goes in and go. Oh, hang on. Don't take that gold bar in, because there's already one in there. Yeah, and then he opens it and goes, "Here's the gold bar." It's all some elaborate con. So one day, one day, Abe's gonna think he's walking into a Starbucks, and it's gonna be an entire massive time travel box <laughs> that he's painted on the inside, it's like Trap. a wily e. coyote prank. But painted, <laughs> painted really badly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, exactly. not, it's not the titty Bar mermaid. Stocks. Instead, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that gentleman is the end of the movie. Fuck. Breathe. <laughs> yeah. Exhale. A, a deep movie, like a, a big yeah. thing dense to watch. Yeah. As or dense as hell, honest to God. One seventeen minutes, it feels like a three and a half hour movie. And not in a bat, I'm not detracting from it. But this is a minute in this movie puts so much into a minute compared to every other movie I've maybe ever seen. Every single line matters in this every single second matters that is something that is very clear from the beginning of it, it there's it, not a single wasted second in this made re-watching it fine like there's a load of films i'd love to watch back to back but i just couldn't because of the length because of this i watched it twice yeah. and i still could have watched another episode and still had lord of the rings time going Absolutely. like it was a real yeah. easy watch in that regard mm. And just an incredibly, incredibly difficult watch in a, in a bunch of other regards. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. But, not, I, you know, there is nothing wrong with, and this is, this is something that I, I really appreciate about the movie, is that you, there is nothing wrong with just saying, listen, we're not doing a lot of work for you. This is a detailed movie. This is a hard movie to follow. Because if you don't have these movies, then you don't, then there's nothing to compare the easy, digestible movies to, you know? Yeah, and at least, I mean, we, we've watched a few different films together. This is a very bread and butter time travel time travel like they go back in time there's some interesting nuances to it which is for example you can only go back to the first time that you set up the machine which i love i think it's a great great feature and there is the fact that time in the box can run both forwards and backwards i think that's quite interesting but ultimately it is just a we get in the machine we can predetermine what time we get out of the machine. There's no travelling around the world like a TARDIS. There's nothing else like that. It's it's quite good. I liked it. It's one of those things where, as you said, it's just a simple form of time. They go back. The wrinkles and the problems and the issues arise when because of duplicity because of li- well, literal duplicity yeah but also because of duplicitous natures because of lying and because of misrepresenting and because of manipulating and because of you know that kind of stuff that's where the 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 messing up is it's not in the time travel which is fascinating i, I would love to have a chat with shane to ask him did you have any idea of what was supposed to have happened with granger do you have any idea of what you are expecting to happen with Aaron as he goes forwards? What happened to the original, like, the two of them? I'd love to speak to him about all of that because it's deliberately left very open. And I'd like to know if he had any thoughts on it, ultimately, or if he himself just wanted it to be open. Mm. Time travel-wise, I can see how someone might have read this film as it being a case of, oh, yeah, 
every time they go back, they just facilitate the things that are happening. And the Abes were always involved. The Aarons were always involved, you know, because there are examples of that. You see people that you see the the attic noise, for example. The attic noise exists at the beginning of the film. And later on, you find out the reasoning for which that exists. But there is a strong current of like divergent timelines in this movie of mm. no, no, you go back, you change the timeline. It occurs differently. Uh, you go back, you change the timeline. It occurs differently. And that, again, is it's bread and butter time travel but it's the means by which they they present it to you that is so is so insane at points and and difficult at points but fascinating at others and and you know moorish honestly i can't say that i would have been disappointed if this movie was one hour 45 or one hour 35 i appreciate the 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 brevity of it i appreciate the efficiency of it i appreciate that there's only one scene cut (laughs) that would have probably bolstered this to what one hour 19 Mm. (laughs) so it's there's you know it's efficiency seven thousand dollars worth of efficiency and i appreciate in all those regards but yeah as you said bread and butter time travel given to you in a really you know wild way imagine only spending seven thousand dollars on a film and then still cutting stuff when it was only 70 i mean like it's crazy some of the stuff i found out when i was looking into the background of it is is mental like they 75 percent of the movie they did in one take wow and the reason for that is because Shane Carruth was obviously they were on a tight budget, you know, he couldn't go over. So the sixteen millimeter super film, which is what they use to show this on, to film this on, before they did that, they storyboarded every single scene by doing the shot on thirty five millimeter film first. So somewhere there is a thirty five millimeter version of this entire film. Almost like I'm, a comic book. Almost like a comic book. Like a storyboard, exactly yeah. Whereas they would usually storyboard on pictures on a wall that somebody's yeah. drawn in a, st- a stereotypical storyboard way. Not like this at all. Everything was meticulously put into place. The angle of the shot, whatever, and they knew exactly how it was going to work every time. So even saying that, they Shane Carruth still spent two years post production on this. That, two see, full that years makes after. Um, a world of a sense. Yeah. So this we learn have... that Shane is essentially Abe. Shane's actual Absolutely. real life, yeah, yeah he's, he's is the, yeah. the pragmatist coverall, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but... And I mean, this must have been a nightmare to edit, a nightmare because mm. the Bible for this that you would have had to the core document that tracked everything would have just the the revision upon revision upon revision. I saw somewhere just offhand that he said he gave up on this film two or three times in the in the making of it, and mm. I can definitely see why because it does at some points it must have felt like an insurmountable task. There was a bunch of other things as well, like I mean when they were casting this he didn't want to play Aaron they mm. they auditioned over a hundred people for both those roles Abe and Aaron and whereas they gave Abe's character away quite easily after they'd auditioned a hundred people Shane was like it's just not working I need to play this role is that is that a megalomania thing where he... I think probably like I don't want my project to get into the hands of somebody and yeah. not be translated I think that is part of it I think probably he would have played both roles if he could have done oh yeah he'd have played his own wife yeah yeah he'd have played um, every role sure you know it, it's it's it is interesting how actively he is involved in everything in this it's like it is a bit megalomania bit of a control freak and he's a hell of a lot more than a megalomaniac considering some of the accusations against him uh, you know i didn't yeah. want to get too far into it but uh, he's not he's you know he's not got a good reputation does he shane caruth and no, I, you know i can't with- say partners and things yeah no, yeah i can't say that weird. you'll be saying him seeing him anytime soon no. i personally really you know aside from the the terrible allegations i don't like shane caruth for the fact that uh, he made me watch upstream color which is <laughs> one of the worst films i've yeah. ever seen and i uh, 
uh, that film is like a it's a fever dream but the fever doesn't stop you just die um very very difficult film to watch and it was you know i think it's his most recent thing but yeah no shane yeah shane caruth as much as i i the work i'll give all of the plaudits to the to the film and to the work great but film I, yeah, yeah exactly and this film was really well received i read one uh, uh review by uh Dennis Lim at the Village Voice, he he said of this, and this was something that was repeated sort of in and around the time. He said, "This is the most, this is the most impressive sci-fi film that's come out since two thousand and one, A Space Odyssey." I mean, another thing that kind of is along that sort of vein is when Ryan Johnson was writing and uh, putting together the script for Looper, which obviously big budget film, of course, yeah. He sent it to Shane Carruth. Shane Carruth had the balls to send it back to Ryan Johnson and tell him his time travel's wrong. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, he went like, to the cool guy. Okay, yeah, exactly. So if you want to say that to Ryan Johnson, that's totally cool. But I mean, like, imagine what Looper would have been if if it might have been a completely different movie before might, Shane Carruth got Might have been it. a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Crappier oh, than wow. it was. Jesus. <laughs> Interestingly, I mean, do you guys know what he did before he did any of this writing and directing? No. He, he was a software engineer. Oh, that would make a lot of sense as to yeah. why he thought the software engineer was unnecessary yeah, in this that film. As that weird kind of joke and stuff, he's obviously moved on from that and now he does this sort of thing. But knowing the meticulous kind of nature of how an engineering solution would work, that's why this film's so dense. I would gen- I would say that, you know, before you would say this movie was directed or written, it was engineered. Absolutely. So I, you yeah. know, I think as a, as a genuine mm. descriptor. Um, guys, we've spoken... Over this movie, you know, we've gone thoroughly through it. We've talked about the time travel. We've talked about the the kind of making of the film. We've gone backwards and forwards. This is, this is a meaty, meaty, dense, dense film. I was thinking about it, that it, whether it's the paradoxes, the causality, as I mentioned earlier on, the determination, the, the free will, the series of reveals, the multiple versions of characters, the time jumps, the backwards and the forwards, the, the, the difficulty of it, the... All of the fully established terms that are baked into the world, the ones that they don't explain to you, they don't spoon feed to you, they don't, you know, uh, uh, rig them up and present them. No, they just mention them as givens. There's the rules of time travel. There are ethical parameters. There are there's the pursuit of something else being the catalyst for what you eventually end up with. There are chances to rewrite and wish fulfillment. And all of this is done in, in a very brief and very succinct way because the film isn't concerned with just explaining those and getting the pat on the back for explaining those things. No, it knows that you should know about those things. It has loftier goals and ambitions. The, the goal and ambition is to make not the perfect time travel movie, but to make the most complex time travel movie. And one of the reputations of this film is that it is the perfect time travel movie. Maybe perfect's not the right word, but the best, rather. That is, that's the the primer on the pedestal kind of reputation that it has since it came out in 2004 yeah it's an interesting thing of whether it's a good movie or or not it's certainly a great time travel movie yeah Uh, it would be hard to compare it to a normal movie because normal movies can't really do a lot of what happens in this sort of thing and so i mean it's honestly we've i've watched a few films it is probably my favorite time travel film to date what's this film about time travel 
what is the plot of the movie? People invent time travel. They use time travel. They deal with time travel. This is a movie thoroughly and absolutely and quintessentially about time travel. It's bathing itself in time travel. So yeah, I completely concede. This is not a normal movie. You do not, if you judge this movie against Titanic or this movie against uh, Jurassic Park or this movie against Schindler's List, you know, uh, it's not, it's just not the same animal. This is an experiment. I almost feel like it's like documentary in style. I feel like I'm watching an event that's happened actually happened and we're just watching the results of it uh, yeah it would it's, almost it's be weird, like right it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a blockbuster it doesn't feel like you're watching back to the future or looper where there is a plot and the time travel is part of it i feel like i'm watching somebody's discovery of time travel it's like a dramatization of yeah. how did the thing happen yeah. like when you go back and you watch things about like the creation of the the first nuclear weapons and they have actors play out the scenes but some of the scenes feel a bit awkward because that's how they actually happened mm-hmm. that's what this feels like it's yeah like like an experiment or like you know some kind mm. of like like a special occasion i thought to myself you know uh, uh it, this the movie is is meaty but it's like a special meat you know it's like it's something that is almost in like Almost incomprehensible. I started to think, I remember watching uh, a video about like Wagyu beef, you know, the incredibly marble Japanese beef that costs you your mortgage and your legs. And I started to think that like, yeah, that's that's kind of what this is. It's this. I thought you were going to go for mystery meat then. Oh, yeah. For a second. <laughs> mystery meat, yeah, yeah. Well, it's this, it's like a primer is a, this pinnacle of time travelness and this amazing thing that you absolutely wouldn't be able to have every single day unless you're you know supremely wealthy but just for a normal person you wouldn't be able to have it every single day but you might you might not be able you're not capable to have it every single day it's price prohibitive and in primus case it's uh density prohibitive mind prohibitive mind prohibitive yeah but when you do have it oh my god this is this is it. Primer's the pinnacle in much the same way that like I would say Wagyu beef is considered like the best, you know, the best meat on the planet or to, to most. But it's not a normal thing. It's yes. not a normal thing. Doesn't, Go and have a steak. Yeah. If you, yeah, you know, it's doesn't a, come that's around a very often, does it? It's yeah. like it's it's a special thing on a menu. You, rarified, yeah. difficult to get, hard, you know, uh, you have to work for it. And afterwards, say you've spent, you know, £5,000 on a tiny piece of meat that you've had and you've that's it. You're just going to go and digest and poop it out. So you do say to yourself, yeah. like, was it worth it? And Primer, there's so many people who are going to watch this film and just be like, what the hell was that? And was it worth it for me to that even try not, and watch this again? That was not worth it. What a load of overrated nonsense. And also, I feel like people are definitely going to go, I'm going to have to watch that again to try and get my head around it. It's It's one of those things that's like, a lot of films you can watch on their own and get it and it's fine. You're not going to get this straight away. One of the one of the only one of the only quotes that I found kind of about it from uh, Mike D'Angelo from Esquire. Anybody who claims he fully understands Primer, who after seeing it just once, is either a savant or a liar. <laughs> I would say there's no savants out there. There's no it's just yeah, yeah, liars. Absolutely, it's just you're right, Scott. It's the pinnacle of what we are chasing here. Yes, right. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's everything we wanted reduced into a one-hour, seventy-minute jus, and uh, and and like it's incredibly potent. It's very. He loves that word. I love the word jus. Honestly, when I found out what a jus was, it was great. It's like bechamel, just wonderful words. Yeah. It is going to be so interesting doing this film club now, watching the movies that we're going to watch, talking about the movies that we're going to see, and 
not as crudely as just pitting them up against Primer, but in 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 coming down from the heady heady heights of Primer and and seeing what else is done out there, and honestly seeing you know what kind of intricacies are out there, what kind of ways of doing this. The world has moved on a lot since two thousand and four, and there are other ways to do. There's other ways to be authentic than just cross talk and low budget cameras and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be genuinely really interesting coming away from Primer. I'll be interested to see what sort of dirty food Scott suggests. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, again, I don't think this will be like the best film that's ever made, but I do think it's going to be hard to find a time travel film that, that outdoes the, the time travel nature to this. But I'm not looking for one to outdo it. I just want to see what else is available. I don't always need Wagyu beef. I would love to have a McDonald's. I'd love a Five Guys out there. In fact, as a mostly vegetarian person, I'd love to have some falafel. If we can get some falafel in this... Amazing. Fantastic. Crum- fi- let's find a crumbly movie that Palestinians make beautifully in Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> the most exciting part of the buffet is getting there first, right, and looking at what all those available foods are. It's so, true. You know, it's true. That's where we're at. I can't wait for this. This is this is going to be good fun. You know, we. I can't wait to find out what else we're going to chat about, basically. I mean, like, imagine the kind of variants that we're going to get after following on from this. This is... And I, I I respect and love and thank and admire our gorgeous listeners for, you know, joining us and beginning with one of the hardest films to watch ever made. One of the most... Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry about that. But also, Strong well done. <laughs> well done. If you are yeah. still here with us now, well done. Congratulations. You have absorbed Primer. You're one of the few people on the planet that has, and you get to now enjoy <laughs> rewatching it a bunch of times to fully understand it. <laughs> and um, considering some of the films that I know we've got coming up, don't worry, they're not all cerebral. Some of them are smack your head against a wall. <laughs> They'll give you cerebral injuries. <laughs> it's going to be a really fun journey. We are so happy to have you here with us. We are so happy to be on this journey. We look forward to it so much. Uh, guys, congratulations again for getting over the primer hump. We are into it. Episode one of the Time Travel Film Club. Done. Imagine if this has been like episode 12. And we'd done 11 of these already. It would be a nightmare. You get to episode 12 and you say, oh, this is the time travel film. Forget the 11 before it. This is this is what <laughs> this we is were hunting right? for. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, now we've caught the big game. I hate hunting. I don't know why I'm using this as an analogy, but we've caught the big game. And now we just get the exotic animals to pick off. Why am I using hunting but as an we analogy? Don't like I hate we it. don't want to do that. It's disgusting. It's terrible. Hunting I'm sorry. Animals? I'm sorry. Terrible. We will see you again next episode for something far more accessible, far, far easier to digest. Uh, and we look forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to it too. My house again? Well, we've set the room tone now. And that brings to a close episode one of the Time Travel Film Club. Thank you so much, dear listener, for journeying through Primer with us. You can find the Time Travel Film Club on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And we'd be so insanely grateful if you would leave us a rating and review on any of those platforms to help more people find our We Film Club in the time stream. As always, if you'd like to get in touch... Facebook Time Travel Film Club, Twitter at Time Travel Club. Reddit, r slash Time Travel Film Club. Email timetravelfilmclub at gmail.com. In our next episode, we will be watching 2017's ARQ, which you, dear listener, can find on Netflix at time of recording. Until then, love from the past, see you in the future.